me see what it shows up on on Destiny. See how loud it shows up. All right, that's where we need to be. All right, we're good. Good stuff. All right, turn it down. You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. I am Corky Warlock across the border from my good pal Yolanda Squad Pump. We, <laughs> we, we are here to rock your world. Let me tell you, daddy. <laughs> oh, man. Having fun with bad names this week. You know it always. Hmm. I'll have to look around in the credits and see if we got some more bad names. We might have some. All right. I am Sammy. Across the border from my, across the border from my good pal Big <laughs> Willie. This is the GGTMC. This week we are bringing you a, well, you know, kind of a Halloween-themed or at least horror-thriller-themed sci-fi, what do you, you know, anything you can say here. A festive episode. Yeah, yeah a festive episode, maybe the best way to put it. Uh, we're doing Richard Franklin's Road Games, 1981, and Night of the Creeps, 1986? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. There we go. Fred Decker. I think it's his name. I hope it is. It is. <laughs> Rick Decker. Is it Rick? I always go to say Rick Decker. I always, I always want to say Alfred Decker. I don't know why. Maybe. I think it, I say Rick Decker because of Rick Deckard, mm. the Robocop. And yeah. Alfred Decker, you're still kind of there because Alfred yeah. Decker. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I take all Fred Decker. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that is what we are doing. We hope everybody's having a good time. We hope everybody's enjoying the Midnight Ride uh, mini episodes that Large William's putting out. Little special project. Want to go ahead and give that a shout out here. Uh, you'll see them in the feed and stuff. That's all Will's baby right now. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll find some time. But right now, that's Will's little thing. And we don't know, you know, what it'll be going forward. But we do know that for the month of October, you're getting 21 episodes of Large Williams saying the Midnight Ride. <laughs> <laughs> that we do know. <laughs> yes, precisely. So we'll yeah, we'll see. It's not going to be as consistent otherwise. It was little. Little something you and I had been talking about behind the scenes for a long time, and it uh, it'll it'll stay around, just not as frequently. Um, it may be us, it may be like I said, fellow gentlemen mm-hmm. or ladies uh, of the DGTMC dropping in with little reviews yeah. for your ears, yeah, and some, uh, just something a little fun, you know, just, yeah. something, just something to liven it up every now and then. Exactly. All right, so let's get into what we've been watching. What have you been watching as of late? Well. I made a commitment to the month of October that I would only watch festive things. A lot of it I can't talk about because I'm talking about them at length. On the midnight ride. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can tell you what I watched. Um, I watched Resolution. I don't know that I talked about that last time. I know everything about these that you think because I listened to all the episodes. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I've already listened to them, so I know where you're going before you even say anything. Nice. Of course, I'm assuming you're just going to tease everybody a little bit anyway. A little teaser, and then the pleaser comes 
on the ride. Um, Resolution's good. It's like a Ben Wheatley kind of American indie, bit of a mind bender. It's on Instant. I recommend. Nice. Um, the Midnight Hour, which is as festive and fun. The Midnight Hour would make the, the great first half of a double with Night of the Creeps. No, oh, there we go. Fun, fun, fun. Um, I can talk about this one. Oh, did I talk about The Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, you did last week. Oh, right, I did. And then, yes, I did because then I talked about it and I'll, I like saying it now. Oh, my wife's knocking over glasses in there. <laughs> oh. Must be, must be Miller time out there. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a night recording, so. <laughs> they get wild and woolly. Yeah. Yeah, with people toys. I'm drinking water. <laughs> so, so am I. <laughs> um, yeah, because then I did the burning and the odd angry shot, which we talked about. Um, well, I didn't watch a whole lot this week. Fuck. Well, everything you've watched, I know because you've been putting it out on the yeah, feed. So. Good point. Well, I did watch Mad Love. Oh, okay. The Peter Laurie joint. It's on YouTube. It's only about 65 minutes long. What'd you think of that? I really liked it. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a good it's one. It's really good, man. Really. It goes to show at the time how far ahead of everyone else Germany was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, and it's an American film, but uh, Freund, I believe that's how you say his name, Freund. Uh, the German filmmakers that came to work in America had brought over the techniques and stuff and just, yeah, really way ahead of everything everyone else was doing, even down to the, the acting techniques that were employed on screen. Yeah. So, but it's a real good one, man. Real cool. Um, that was programmed by, oh man, this is terrible. Uh, it was programmed by Josh Rotato, our good friend, Josh. Um, then I did Blood and Donuts, which is a Canadian vampire film. Which uh, Mr. Le Maire of the Halloween Spooktacular programmed, and uh, I love their intro this year. It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's that again? Oh, okay. I know you're talking about the Le Maire. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he did a good job picking a Canadian film. Uh, I'd be very curious to see what you have to say about that one. I'll check that out. Yeah, I really. I've liked never it, seen. Man. I've never seen it. It's one of those ones that you know the title you remember forever. Sure. Um, but uh, I've never gotten around to it. And actually, that's the one Midnight Ride I haven't listened to yet. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> i got to record some more of those. Yes. Fuck. If you want to um, get the 21 done by 31, yes, you do. <laughs> I do. I did. was looking at the calendar. I was trying to get the, get the sweats, not just the meat sweats. Oh, man. You got the pie sweats tonight. I got the fucking pie sweats. I got the turkey sweats. I'll talk about that in a minute here. Um, oh, boy. Uh, I can talk about this. Remember last week we talked about um, Halloween is Grinch's night? Yes, yes. So we did that. Oh, nice. How was that? Yeah. It's it's okay. It's you know it's like a six and a half. There's a reason it's the the kind of lesser sister to um, the Christmas one, but it's still got some cool stuff going on. Uh, and it's on again. It's on YouTube, so it's worth everyone checking out. It's just it it boggles my mind how it seems like none of us knew about this. Yeah, I know. It's it's like, still amazing. I even asked my wife after we got done. She shook her head. Well, that's just it. Mike Mars, uh, Trick or Treat Radio, good friends over there. Uh-huh. He he was blown away. I asked my dad; he didn't know about it. Um, it just it's this very strange thing. I think it came out. I want to say like either mid seventies or like eighty eighty one. So very very strange. Um, and then I watched the two films for the show. I can tell you a couple of things very quickly. I did do. I want to wish everyone in Canada a very happy Thanksgiving or yes. post Thanksgiving. Um, I have three. Thanksgiving dinners uh, to do. The first one was today. My brother, my dad, my stepmom, uh, my other brother, 
um, my sister, a lot of food, a lot of pies, posting some pictures up on Facebook, a lot yeah. of hockey yeah. and pies. Um, and I had the distinct plan, and I'm fat and stuffed right now. <laughs> And silver and gold mode. Yeah. <laughs> Recording in my underwear with a belly full of turkey. All right. I just don't have an IPA. <laughs> or any cheese nearby. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, I did have the distinct pleasure of getting to see Goblin in concert last night. Oh, yeah. That's right. With Glenn Fry and Tom Hardy. With Glenn Fry and Tom Hardy. <laughs> it was outstanding. The heat was on. Yeah, it was great, man. It was... Uh, yeah, the uncool cat Glenn Fry and uh, <laughs> Tom Hardy, the the also known as Ryan K, the artiste behind many a brilliant renditions of uh, Sylvan Gold and the Miners over at uh, Sylvan Gold. Yes, um, it was very cool to finally meet him face to face because we've had a few near misses. Um, so it was awesome just to see. Uh I know a lot of people sometimes don't like to put themselves up on Facebook. I totally understand that. I'm a pretty private yeah. person as well, but it's awesome to get to see these people sometimes because, you know, I don't know when I'm going to uh, get to see them. So it was nice to finally put a face to the name, Ryan, because I've, well, I've known him through the show or shows for a long time now. Yeah, well, that's true. Just a great, great dude. So Secret Chiefs 3 opened for um, Goblin. I got to meet Goblin, got a signed poster. It was awesome. Got a T-shirt. Very cool. Very, very cool guys. Um, and it was nice. The place, the venue held about, I don't know, three to 500 people, and it was packed. Because when we first got there, it was like, oh, man, it's a bit of a bummer. Fuck, is this place going to be empty? I was like, this is a bit heartbreaking. So, yeah, but they put in a great show. You'll love the Secret Chiefs 3. Um, they're huge genre fans. If you like Mr. Bungle, like this, the lead guy in this was in Mr. Bungle. Mike Patton. Okay, okay. They're big film fans, big genre film fans. A lot of their stuff has spaghetti western vibes or kind of uh, pagan kind of, um, oh, what's the one? Jesus Christ, no. Um, Wicker Man. Kind of some Wiccan-y kind of 70s British horror vibes. Like they're very, very talented musicians. You will you as a musician will appreciate them. I, mm -hmm. I recommend them. So, yeah, it was a great time. And, uh yeah, that was that. So that's uh, kind of the week. Uh, hoping to get into some more Halloween stuff uh, with the kids. They did watch the Monsters TV show, the first two episodes, which was Braden's choice. So I was kind of pleased about that. Nice. One of my favorite theme songs there. Yeah, it's a great one, man. It it's is. a great show. It's right ahead of its time. Yeah, It's got that nice little like surf guitar sound to it. Yeah, it totally does, man. And it, it works well. It's. Uh, I'm glad. I, I want my kids to watch older stuff. And I, I sometimes grapple with how to introduce them but they wanted to watch it and and they dug it so they they both uh i had to be grandpa monster of course <laughs> you know yeah. that's how it goes <laughs> well I al, al lewis had a nice and long career so that's a compliment really when you think about it yeah sure it absolutely <laughs> is but uh, of course it doesn't hurt getting to look at yvonne de carlo either. no never never Dynamite. So yeah, that's my week. Let's uh, let's hear you. You've been watching some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I watched a little bit of stuff this week. I watched uh, Salinger, the JD Salinger documentary. This came out not too long ago, but I guess because of the deal the Weinstein's now have with Netflix, they put this out almost like a like a month after it came out theatrically. So oh, wow. it's already up on Netflix Instant Watch, and I guess that's going to be the way they're going to do their kind of smaller releases, which I guess is a cool thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, because uh, I, I mean, well, it's a cool thing for me because I'm not going to get Salinger at my local theater. Okay, I'm not going to get a documentary on a reclusive writer uh, in this city, but that's okay. I mean, it, it's available on Netflix. I watched it; it's pretty good. 
I'm a fan of Salinger's work. I don't think he's the be all end all of writers, but um, it is interesting. Some of the, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but in case anybody doesn't know, but some of the things they talk about with Salinger and stuff is pretty interesting stuff. So if you have interest in that topic, check it out. If you don't, yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe don't watch it because I think it's a little overstylized for its own good. I think the director, I think he might be a first-time filmmaker. I'm not positive on that. I know he wrote a book, too, called Salinger. Uh, really big, uh, comprehensive book, evidently. But um, it is a little overstylized for its own good. I don't like some of the things that he does in it. But the story's great. Um, watched a 30 for 30, a new one. Free Spirits, this one's called. The story of the Spirits of St. Louis from the ABA. Nice. Yeah, this was pretty great. You know, the Spirits of St. Louis were only around for about three years, I think. And uh, (laughs) they were an insane team. Uh, The ABA, for those who don't know, was an insane league. And uh, really a lot of what we the NBA owes to popularity, I think, comes from the ABA. Oh, uh, totally, man. Yeah, the more free play, the kind of craziness, high scores, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it it's really interesting, the story. I don't want to give anything away for anybody who don't know, but the owners of the uh, uh, Spirits, it's, it's, there's, there's an interesting story behind that. And, of course, those who don't know, Bob, that was Bob Costas' first gig. His first gig was uh, announcer for the, I think, radio announcer or TV announcer for the Spirits of St. Louis. So it's pretty interesting. Oh, that's cool. I think I might have heard that, but I can't remember. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Nice. Um I then watched uh, League of Denial, the NFL's concussion crisis. I saw that uh, Jake had posted this. Now, this is a PBS documentary, so it's available to watch on PBS.org. Uh, I don't know if you guys could, I guess you guys could access that from Canada, maybe. Or maybe, let's, maybe let's check. It's, it's weird, some of the stuff. I guess I shouldn't put .rog, should I? No, probably not. Uh, it's weird, some of the stuff that gets geo-blocked. I wonder if other uh, I wonder if other countries can access this or not. I'd be what curious. was it called again? Um, League of Denial or what? PBS.org is the website. But yeah, I'm on there now. Uh, League of Denial. See, League of Denial. Um, so, it'd be interesting to see, but yeah, this is a League of Denial. The NHL's concussion crisis. What? The National Hockey League presides over Canada's indisputable national pastime. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Nice. I was about ready to say that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Uh, let me just see. It looks like it might play. Oh, nice. It plays. Good. Nice. Okay, good. 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 Well, you know, PBS is public, so I'm hoping that, you know, most people, our uh, listeners worldwide can check this out. Uh, it does just deal with the NFL and some of those things. There is some really interesting stuff in here. Uh, I won't, you know, concussions are a part of all sport. I won't stand on my little soapbox here and say anything because, you know, me and Will had a long conversation about this the other night, but. I mean, it is what it is, but uh, you should definitely check it out because what it really does show you is the worry that big business has when somebody finds something out. That's what it really shows you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's very interesting on that angle. So definitely check it out. It's well worth a watch. About It's almost two hours long, uh, but you won't feel that. It's uh, heartbreaking and uh, information, is it's just chock full of it. So even if you don't like football, I think you'll, uh, American football, I think you'll uh, find it interesting. Very good stuff. And last but not least, I watched this last night when I got home. I watched Bullet to the Head. <laughs> I little, saw, yeah. A little Walter Hill, a little Sylvester Stallone, you know, uh, <laughs> Jimmy Bobo. Yeah. Um, you know what, man? I, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's a, it's a 30, it's a 91 minutes long. It doesn't pull any punches. It has one of the most bizarre m- things that happen in the middle that I don't even understand why it's in there. For those who have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. They go to a party. That's all I'll say. Will hasn't seen it yet, so I don't want oh, him to wow. say anything. 
But it's just a bizarre moment in a movie that I thought was going to take itself seriously most of the way through. But I guess yeah, it's it's not as it doesn't have that little comedy bits like Last Stand does. But it does have some little moments and stuff. And and I thought it was perfectly entertaining. I was completely entertained by the thing. Uh, it doesn't have Walter Hill's normal flourishes, but it does have some Walter Hill in it. You can definitely tell uh, there's some strong Walter Hill in there. I really wish like Ry Cooter or somebody like that would have done the soundtrack. Whoever he oh, got to do the man. soundtrack was somebody that was like, I love Ry Cooter. <laughs> you know, uh, one of those. Yeah. It's like a facsimile. Yeah. So the one of my biggest problems with the film is the music and a couple of little stylish things that Walter Hill does. But I mean, this is six point five, five, six point seven five, maybe seven territory for me all day long. I mean, I thought this was fun. Stallone looks weird. Uh, that is true. He 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 just he just continues to look stranger and stranger. Uh, I don't know. You know what I find really odd about him? It's not it's not the veins so much. It's how long his arms are in proportion to his body. Yeah, he's got this really like small trunk, and he's got these long skinny legs and these incredibly long arms. I mean, they they almost come down to his kneecaps. So it's it's so bizarre looking, but um, good actors in it. Uh, you know, Sung. I think it's Sung Kang. I believe it is. I love it? him. Yeah, he's good in it, but he. I can see where people could have wore thin on him. I know some people said that he was the weakness of the film for them. For him. For them. Um, you know, I, I think he's perfectly fine in it. Um, uh, Jason Momoa. It's got great presence. Uh, as we I know, keep hearing that, but I've never seen him in anything. Yeah, you, I think you'd like him in this. He's got great presence. He really does. I think he's he, a heavy, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got a, a him and the guy that played Mister Echo on Lost are the heavies. Oh, that's that's two good heavies just yeah. from the look. Oh, and Christian Slater's with the uh, one of the cronies, <laughs> nice. which is, is he actually Christian Slater is really funny in the film. I have to give it to him. He really he kind of in some ways steals the show in some spots. That's cool because I always liked Slater. Mm-hmm. Kind of fell off the rails a bit, but yeah, yeah, he does. He tends to do that, especially whenever there's anything that looks like baby powder laying around. Um, no, I I think it's a good film, and uh, you know, I was worried that you know it would be god awful. I know Zom hated it, and I know Loaf didn't like it. I know quite a few other people didn't really like it, but I thought it was uh just as much fun as last stand i like the violence in last stand the action more in last stand but i like the story more in bullet to the head so i don't know but like i said on a little post on facebook i mean geriatric action stars man i'm 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 looking forward to escape plan i am too that's kind of the big one right to see those two for the whole runtime Mm -hmm. yeah looks like it could be fun i hope it is when does that come out and soon actually it should come out uh either i don't know if it's going to get an october release or a november release oh it is soon yeah, I don't think they're going to go for any Oscars, but I think they wanted to release it in the fall. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll find out. I'm sure Sylvan Go won't like it. All right, <laughs> well, we're gonna, we. Uh, that's what I've watched. I watched the. That's that's it. I mean, it was it was a good week for me, but it. You know, I'm proud to say I didn't watch anything that sucked. So that's good. That is a good week, and that might be a little bit of a spoiler for the reviews we're getting ready to do. <laughs> All right, Jimmy Bobo. <laughs> there's some great lines in it i don't care what anybody says there's some lines in it that are so bad they're good oh man there's some funny stuff in there it's harsh in spots man i gotta say anyway how, how long is it about 90 minutes or? yeah 91 minutes and it, it breezes okay, well, it's, by it's it breezes the right by. yeah yeah it breezes by i mean it's i was only bored or not i don't, don't want to say bored i want to say perplexed at <laughs> at one decision that i think they could have completely cut out but I don't know. It feels like the Stallone moment to me. It feels like 
he was talking to Walter Hill, and he's like, hey, Walter, I got, I got a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm a director, too, you know? Yeah, uh, it just looks like he had this one moment where he thought this would be a great idea, and it's not. But uh, it does lead for some comedic moments in the film. Uh, maybe not on purpose. All right, we're going to take a short break, come back, and which one of these you want to talk about first here? Uh, let's, uh, let's do Creeps, man. All right. Take a short break, come back, talk some Night of the Creeps. We'll be back right after this. Hello, this is Kenny B. This is Tom KW. And we are two of the hosts from the Podcast on Fire Network. You want Asian cinema in a podcast? Well, we got the solution for you. Because at the Podcast on Fire Network, there's seven plus shows for you to choose from. You want Hong Kong action cinema and audio commentaries? We got that. You want dirty Hong Kong cinema? We got that. You want the eternal question, what's Korean cinema answer? We'll answer that. The flagship show Podcast on Fire covers classic Hong Kong cinema. Everything from Bruce Lee to Jackie Chan, John Woo and Jet Li. Featuring in-depth discussions with an aura of fun. This is your primary stop in the podcast world for classic Hong Kong cinema. So join me, Kenny B and Tom KW and a cast of thousands at podcastonfire.com also available on itunes on stitcher radio and come chat with us on the podcast on fire network facebook group and on twitter at podcast on fire podcast on fire network it's asian cinema in a podcast all right welcome back to the gentleman's guide all right baby (laughs) (laughs) it's been stuck in my head man i've been talking like that to people that don't even know that i do this shit (laughs) Like, what are you doing tonight? (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. So our first film is Night of the Creeps, 1986. Now, you might wonder, how does a podcast like ours go five years without covering a film that for our generation, arguably, is one of the cult classics? And uh, the answer is quite simple. We tried to, in the beginning of our podcast, to avoid as much as possible. Not We didn't always do this, but we, we tried to, as much as possible, avoid the, the power selections. Um, the Lone Wolf and Cubs, the Lady Snowbloods, the Night of the Creeps. You yeah. know. We didn't do Lady Snowblood until last year. We still haven't done a Lone Wolf and Cub. No. Uh, we haven't done uh, some other stuff. Like last year, we did Halloween, and I'd never even did, I didn't even know if we were ever going to do Halloween. So we just kind of go by, sometimes we just like to fly by the seat of our pants. So you might wonder, why did I pick Night of the Creeps? It was my selection. I picked it strictly because I was looking through my Blu-rays. I was in the mood to watch one of my Blu-rays. And of course, like most of us who love and are obsessive about buying disc media, I bought it and didn't unwrap it. It sat in my shelf for the last year or so, two years, three years maybe. And I was looking at it, I was like, I really need to open that and watch it. And I was like, well, there you go. There's my selection for the show. So it was as simple as that. So... That's how it. That's how it happens sometimes. But uh, the good news is, is that we still got a ton of great movies to cover in the future, and uh, so that there you go. That's the way it works. Anyway, let me give a plot synopsis for this one: uh, Alien brain parasites entering humans through the mouth turn their host into a killing zombie. Some eaters, some teenagers, start to fight against them. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's like the worst plot Jeez. synopsis ever. I mean, we've had some bad ones. <laughs> That is really bad. You're a fired person. <laughs> yeah, really. Who the fuck wrote that? All right. Uh, who wants to lead on this? You want to lead on this one? You want to? Uh, I mean, I, I yeah, I selected it. I mean, you know. Okay. Yeah. Like, so I guess that would be part for the course. So I'll full disclosure here. Um, 
this is a top five favorite horror film for me all time. Yowza. Yeah, maybe top ten at worst. And that might be another reason why we sometimes don't select these two. We've had these conversations. Like, even I was nervous to review Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these conversations sometimes. And I, we've talked about this back and forth about Once Upon a Time in the West with me. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't even... I, we've actually thought about creating a whole other show to talk about certain films. <laughs> like the Masters. Like, I, I don't know how... I. I would be nervous to talk about the Wild Bunch. Yeah, or discuss Holy Mountain. Or, or, or oh fuck, man. Or some yeah, of these other films. Too. Where to begin? That's true, but you know, something like this, I feel a little more comfortable tackling. But yeah, there's some films that just kind of loom large over us personally. That where do you begin with that mountain? You're going to scale. Um, but I did want to get that out of the way. And it's funny how long we've been doing this because when we first began doing our show five plus years ago, I think we'd had a little thing. Uh, which films need a, a, a legitimate release on Blu-ray or DVD? This was one of the ones we mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we began our show, you couldn't... A lot of these huge titles like Inglorious Bastards was still a bootleg, like the original. This was a bootleg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling Thunder was a bootleg. I mean, just, you couldn't get a lot of these films. Yeah, and as, as the last five years have gone on, <laughs> we've seen a lot of these things get released. It's really great. I mean, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Vinegar Syndrome stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really great a lot of this stuff is getting released now. Oh, it is fantastic. And uh, yeah, this was a film that was just crying out for it. Like, I think the rip I had was like it was an HD rip off, like Chiller, like that Chiller station or something. Or Yeah, that was the infamous rip everybody wanted. Mm-hmm. Everybody that wanted that. One. Yeah, I had it on a bootleg that I bought at a yeah. flea market. <laughs> well, I'm still, yeah, I'm still sitting on. Uh, on my rad HD rip from like MGM HD or something. Nice. I'm waiting for the blue of that to come out. Nice, nice. So, yeah, yeah. That's one that doesn't have a release. You're right. And it's driving me nuts. Yeah. But this finally got announced, and I think that we can thank um, neither, uh, neither creeps. We can thank the Monster Squad for finally getting a release. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the Monster Squad went over huge, um, and. Then they thought, okay, well, Night of Creeps has a good following. Why don't we release it? Thankfully, this gets as good a release as fans of the film could hope for. If you like this film um, and you have a Blu-ray player, you need to upgrade immediately. Yeah. The, the, uh, the Blu-ray looks amazing. Yeah. No, it's, it's colorful. It. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is gorgeous. Yeah, it really looks exceptional. There's a lot of special features on the disc. So, I mean, you're just, it's chock full of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's a great upgrade. Um, I can say the, the, the substantial downgrade for this is the fact that the cover is fucking beyond horrible. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, this is one of those ones that, um, sadly, somebody in marketing decided to redo the cover. This one and the Near Dark one may be the two worst... Uh redone covers ever in home media oh they're so bad they're so bad this one it's like but who who did they think this was going to appeal to yeah really this is such a terrible at least we've talked about the angle with um the near dark one was the fact that uh they were going for a twilight spin yeah they're trying to trick people into thinking it was like twilight Mm -hmm. but fuck man like this cover is awful (laughs) <laughs> just awful. So to the point where people were fan uh, piecing together um, 
like the old school cover, so you could insert it into your di- into your like uh, case. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm gonna do. <laughs> uh, I just I hate it so much. Like, I love the original. You know that VHS art with um, it's the hand painted one. It's the the prom date, and it's him at the like in the window. Yeah, with the roses. With the roses, I love that one. Yeah, that's love the one. That that's one. the one that's on uh, IMDb. Yeah, that's the one. And mind you, I don't really care for the one. No, my uh, bad. The one on IMDb is the, the one. Hand. Yeah, that's the one that's trying to rip off like House a little bit. Well, I was just about to say I'm not as big a fan of that one because it's totally fucking House. Yeah, it is. It really is House. All right, the William Cat joint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not not House. The, the Sean Cunningham joint. The Sean Cunningham joint. That's right. Um, I think so, so I think he directed that. Was it him or Steve Miner? It was. I don't, no, 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 it was Miner. It was Miner. I'm pretty sure it was Miner. Yeah, but Cunningham was involved, right? Probably. Now I, I got to. Now I have to find out. I'll let you look as I speak here. Yes. Um, what did I say? Oh, so one of the things when I look at the the horror films I really love. Well, here you go. House written uh, directed by Steve Miner. Yeah. And written by Fred Decker. Mm, there you go. So I wonder if that was a thing of yeah, Decker. I bet it must have been. Well, he wrote the story anyway. He didn't write the screenplay. I wonder if Cunningham was the. Uh, yep, he was the producer. There we go. Mm, there it is. There it is. I knew he was attached somehow because I think I got a special edition DVD and he does a commentary on it. Which I quite like, House, but I'm a bit scared to rewatch it because yeah. it was one of my favorite horror films as a kid, but ooh, I don't know how that's going to hold up. People have been saying it holds up pretty well. Uh, well, the prosthetics are nice. They, the prosthetics are among the best in the yep. business at the time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't uh, isn't uh, uh, Norm fucking Normie in it from Cheers? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he's his neighbor, I think. But uh, anyway, so this one, um, one of the things I noticed with the the the, uh, the horror films I really really love of the time, which are Living Dead, this Fright Night, which we'll talk about later on, uh, etc. What's that? Ooh, spoiler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Stay tuned, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how cool Brewster is. Hey, an interesting piece of, you know, five degrees of separation or whatever. Barry Dvorzon, who did the soundtrack to this, yep. music to this, also did the the uh, soundtrack to Rolling Thunder. Warriors. And Rolling and, Thunder. Yeah. That's right. DeForzon's one of my favorites that no one talks about. Yeah, Dillinger, Hard Times. He did a lot of Walter Hill stuff in the beginning. And uh, did Xanadu. <laughs> did the Ninth nice. Configuration, which we covered. And uh, yep. and also is well-known as the theme composer of uh, Simon and Simon. So there you go. That's a memorable theme, so I'm sure. Yeah, man. Also did Black Caesar, Slaughter's Big Ripoff, and uh, Hell Up in Harlem. So Working with Cohen. Yeah, no, it's, uh, he was he was a good man. I liked him. No one really gives him much love, but I'm a big fan. But... Um, the thing I noticed about all these films is I don't I've I've gone on record as saying I don't like horror comedy, but all of those are horror comedy. But the thing that makes those stand out, and we could probably list a few more. What are some horror comedies you think work really well? Well, I mean, I think this one works really well. I think House works. I think I'm I'm a bigger fan of horror comedy than you are. Yes. But I think as I've known you through the through the years now, I don't mm-hmm. think it's that you don't like horror comedy. I think it's that no. your standard is so high. Because the ones you mention are some of the best horror comedies. I mean, they're they like are. they're like the Citizen Canes of horror comedies. 
Well, I guess that's just I don't have the patience for mediocre horror comedy because it's 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 pretty lazily written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's, bad it's, comedy is painful. But yeah. I think I would say bad comedy might be the most painful of all genres. It is totally true. Bad drama you can work your way through, but bad comedy can be the worst. And the problem oh. with bad comedy is that your bad comedy might not be my bad comedy, might not be somebody else's bad comedy. So it's comedy unlike drama is so difficult that way. It is. It really, really is. Um, but these are all f- just first rate the way they, you know they're written, and they're I've, as you know I like to say sometimes they're timeless, but they're also very of their time. Oh yeah. And uh, this film, it, it, it's pulling on. You know, this is see. Here's the thing: when you get a film made by someone who loves what they're doing and loves the film they're making, Decker, I think, is one of the great or one of the tragic stories. Yeah, there you go. Uh, as far as a career. This guy's directed four things in his life. His first two films were Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. That is as good uh, a two-film beginning or debut as anyone in the history of the genre. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, now, absolutely. I mean, you know, Carpenter and these guys, like, I, I like it just, it's, it, it's on par with anyone. Yeah, it's, it's so it, fucking good. It's a great one-two punch, right? Is it ever? And these are films that will stand the test of time. I would even say that though these two films are... are more beloved than some people could argue that um, Dark Star and uh, Sultan Precinct 13 maybe could argue they're better films. I, I wouldn't. Yeah. Some could, but I wouldn't say those are more beloved than these two. People really love these two films, Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think that there's very few directors that have a back to back punch. And I say back to back because. Some people love Halloween. Some people don't love The Fog. Some people love, uh, I don't know, Citizen Kane. Some people don't really care for the Magnificent Ambersons. I don't know. I, I could go on and on. But sure, it's very rare to have the one-two punch. I mean, some directors just don't have that in their career. And Decker had it. But the tragic thing, like you said about Decker, is he really, I don't know if he got chewed up by the system. What happened? I know we, we can mention that he did end up going on to make RoboCop 3 in 93. Which was a really, like, a big disaster. Yeah, which was, like, a total disaster for him. A total bad... I mean, he wrote a screenplay and everything, but evidently Frank Miller was really heavily involved, and it got really ugly. The studio was really heavily involved. And he wrote some other stories. I mean, he wrote the story to House, like we said, and and the sequel. And then he also wrote the story to If Looks Could Kill, the film that Loaf and them covered not too long ago. And uh, Ricochet, the uh, Denzel Washington, John Lithgow joint. So he was working, and he did some work on Star Trek Enterprise, but it's like he's... He hasn't done anything for the last 12 or 15 years or whatever, really. It's clearly like he's he pissed off the wrong fucking people. Born on the same day as me, by the way. Nice. Very nice. I've always felt this kindred spirit toward Fred Decker because a lot of the things he loved as a child, I loved as a child. I loved the classic monsters, too. And oh, yeah. I was always hoping that he would make more films. And so it's always bittersweet <sighs> to watch... There's this taste of bittersweetness when I watch Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps because it, it just makes me sad. It's so it's so sad because this is like watching Gale Sayers. Yeah, they agree. Right? Yeah. Like it's just such a fucking tr- it's a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> can't do that right now. The fall is kicked in, my throat is a little sore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. You can you can really do the gibbs justice. Ugh. Um but uh it's just it's a shame because this guy didn't just like one aspect like us he loved it all like you can see ec comics influences in this pulp novels these noari stuff he's he's name checking a lot of stuff without it feeling showy mm-hmm. like um like uh what's his name there uh right oh yeah yeah edgar 
Edgar Wright does. Edgar Wright stuff sometimes comes off as a bit show-offy, mm-hmm. whereas this just feels like like like, like an Almodovar. Like he loves it and he wants to just put these little Easter eggs in for other people that love it. Like every character in this film has the name of like a famous horror director from Raimi to um, uh, Landis to I think they call Romero Hooper or Romero Carpenter. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody's everybody's got a name in here. So this is a guy who clearly loves cinema. And he loves, loves cinema. Yeah, he's got Ray Cameron, which is his little take. I think that's supposed to take be a take on, on James Cameron. There's yeah. Detective Landis, Sergeant Ramey, uh, any number of other names throughout the the uh, film. I can't even, even even the cat. I'll get to it in my notes somewhere as yeah. I get to it. Even the cat had Gordon for Stuart Gordon. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then Chris was Chris was Hooper or Carpenter, and the other one was like Romero Hooper or something. Like both <laughs> of them had pretty prominent names. And then of course. Cynthia is Cynthia Cronenberg. Yeah, Cynthia Cronenberg. <laughs> Which is very cool. Yeah. So, Man, I, I had such a hard on for Jill Whitlow when I was a younger she man. She was fucking fine as cherry wine, man. Yeah, man, she was great. and I, yeah. She was in a couple films I really liked. She was in uh, Night of the Creeps, and she was also in, um, oh, fuck, what was the other one? She was supposedly, I can't remember her in Weird Science. I know she's in that, but I can't remember her in it. I have a. I, I'm pretty sure I remember. I think it's at the mall scene because it says she say, plays perfume sales girl, like the mall scene when they go with Kelly LeBrock. I guess. I. I but I, I wouldn't say I remember otherwise. Yeah, but, no, she was in Mask and uh, Porky's as well, but I don't yeah. think she did one of the heavy scenes in Porky's. I don't think yeah. so. She did a few prominent uh, '80s TV shows: Growing Pain, Silver Spoons. Yeah. She did Freddy's Nightmares, Swamp yeah. Thing. So she popped up quite a bit in the 80s and 90s, but she had a short career too, only 19 credits. So, Well, what's crazy is if you look at Jason Lyle, well, Jason Lyle worked a bit, he been at Lampoon and stuff, but um, you look at Steve Marshall, mm-hmm. you look at Jill Whitlow, you look at um, Alan Kayser, the, the legend, the legend, the king, the <laughs> yeah. Bradster himself. The Bradster, baby. All those guys did almost nothing, and this was for a lot of those people, their first film. It's a testament to how... What an eye for young talent Decker had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, he gets amazing performances. Like, these characters in this film are as likable as any characters you're going to see in a horror film. Well, I think Decker has always done that well. He did that well with Monster Squad as well. Those kids Mm -hmm. are not, they're not obnoxious. They're fun kids, right? So I think he really does have an eye for uh, when it comes to acting in films and, and actors in film. He, he totally does. And he peppers just enough kind of character actors. Like he gets Atkins. And you and I had said off the air, everyone loves the Atkins. Um, yeah. But we have to say that this is the Atkins performance. Yeah. yeah. I have to. I, I can't deny it. I've, I've, I've thought about it ever since you said something to me. I've thought about it. <laughs> And oh, I, he's got so many fucking like one line, like just cool dick swinging, <laughs> cool one liners in this. Yeah, it, it's 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 the part of a lifetime for an actor. Now the film wasn't a gigantic, huge hit, but still, Tom Atkins will always be remembered as Detective Ray Cameron, more yeah. so I think than any other character he ever played. And I think that's a that's a great thing for an actor to be able to uh have a role that is synonymous with the film and when i think of night of the creeps the first thing i think of is tom atkins oh big time big time but it's great because they split they really do spread around it really is an ensemble like we get jc and chris um and to a slightly degree cynthia and they get a lot of good time enough time for us to really fall in love with their characters and we get enough free camera to really love him and Mm -hmm. then we get everyone else uh you know sprinkled in as well and 
it just works really well. Like I said, that when I think of, and I always lament about 80s uh, films that never had Blu-ray releases, this is the kind of film I think of, like it got one, and this kind of holds true to my thing of being just in love with 80s Blu-rays that have that perfect color palette like this, like that EC comics purples and blues and lavenders and it's just got such an amazing color. And then the neons of the 80s and stuff. It just it it just looks so great on blue. Yeah. It really, really does. Now, one thing I want to call bullshit on is I, I really like Slither. But the fact that I think it was either James Gunn or who wrote Slither again? It was someone yeah, pretty it's, prominent. It's Gunn. Did, oh, no, no. It was a Gunn. Sorry, Gunn wrote the Dawn of the Dead remake, right? Yes, he did. And he directed Slither and wrote Slither? I believe so. I'm getting ready to double check that for you, but I believe he did write and direct uh, Slither. Slither. I quite like Slither. I think it's a great film, but I call bullshit. He said in an interview that I'm pretty sure this is true. I'd have to look it up, but I remember the time him denying having ever seen Night of the Creeps. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I don't know about that there, Jimmy Gunn. That's like the dude that uh, remade Who Can Kill a Child recently and was like, what's that? I don't know what that is. Never heard of it. And it's like a fucking shot for shot remake. Yeah, James Gunn, writer-director of Slither, yes. Yeah, which is a great horror. It's it's one of the more fun horror films the past 10 years. Yeah, he's got a real good kind of like sartorial kind of sarcastic tone to him it's almost like a a little heavier josh whedon-esque type writing yeah you're i think you're very very spot on with calling him whedon-esque because there's times when it grates but there's times when it works i prefer guns work to whedon's work in some regards i think he's got a little more kind of a horror bent well yeah he's a little darker i don't know if you ever saw super the rain wilson you know that was the realistic superhero film that one that one's got a seriously dark slant to it so he's Definitely got a sick sense of humor. And uh, I think he was the writer of, uh, I know you don't like the studio, but I think he was the writer of Tromeo and Juliet, which is also a bizarre and dark yeah. uh, trauma film. So, you know, I mean. I know he got his start there in Troma. I know that. Yeah, him and uh, Jenna Fisher. I think Jenna Fisher was his girlfriend, and they both yeah. were there. Yeah, That's right. That's right. So, but yeah, I had to call bullshit on that. No, this film's under 90 minutes, which, again, Decker knows the sweet spot, right? That's the sweet spot. Perfectly, perfectly. Just, we're just. Bang on. Um, it opens with uh, these naked pink alien men in a corridor. It's you know, very much kind of a nod to 50s sci-fi, but also aliens with the, the emphasis on the corridors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they're blasting lasers and stuff. Because this film is a lot of things. It's Like I said, there's these pulpy elements. There's sci-fi. There's horror. There's kind of like slasher, um, urban tale um Elements with like the, this, the the insane man is loose from the asylum as the oh, yeah. couple is parked on Lover's Lane. That's an urban myth we all heard. Like the guy, the dude with the hook for the hand, yeah, the yeah. hooks in the handle afterwards. Yeah, yeah I always you wanted, know. I always, I always remember that story as a kid. It scared the shit out of me when I was a young kid. Man, the hook or, with the hand thing. Oh man, that one or the one where the dude's hanging from the rope in the tree and it, he was supposed to thump on the the hood of the car when oh, he was fuck. like nearby. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, that that one was actually featured prominently in that movie, Urban Legends, which isn't a great movie, but I like some of the set pieces. In yeah, it it's, it's it's good enough. It's yeah, fine. It's fine. You know, that's what I'm saying. It is fine. It's not. It's no. It's no great shakes, but uh, because it has such great material to to rip from, it's pretty pretty got some great set pieces. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but to get back to the, I love that it opens. It's got the black and white opening, and it's got smoke. It's in your eyes, which is a great song. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think one of the things I, I've loved with a lot of the horror stuff I've done for Halloween is these ones that, that harken back to these 50s and 60s soundtracks because it kind of gives you this immediate sense of nostalgia. And and the credits look really great because it's black and white, but the credits are like this yellow and teal kind of, again, 50s EC comic font. 
Yeah, you know, I can remember seeing this thing on cable as a kid. The first time I saw it, I saw it on cable. And uh, I remember thinking, something's just cool about this movie. And the first time I saw it, I can still remember where I was. I was sitting in the living room at my mom and dad's house. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I were watching it. And I just thought the black and white against the the uh, kind of uh, day glow fluorescent credits, I just thought that was a great touch. And I thought, oh, yeah. something's off about this. I'm going to watch this movie. And, you know, then for the rest of my life, I've quoted Detective Ray Cameron. You know, it's one of those kind of movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, totally. Yeah, you're right. It's just something. Sometimes, yeah, they grab you, and it it's uh, there's just something to this. And even like this one, it's really it's it's really well shot too. Like there's a few moments in the film where I think, man, like I'm pretty impressed with this because again, cinematography in, in American horror films isn't usually really a thing. I mean, it, it's usually serviceable. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're Dean, that's it. unless you're Dean Cundy. Unless you're, yeah, unless you're, you're exactly, <laughs> unless you're the, the Cundy cam. Yeah. But, uh, King Cundy, baby. King Cundy. Um, does it seem like in, in any time in a horror movie, um, there's a couple and the couple has a flashlight that the guy has to put their flashlight under tune and go, yeah, it's one of those things, man. <laughs> Such a convention, you know, man. And that reminds me, man. I was watching uh, Bullet in the Head, and there's a scene where they dig a bullet out. And guess what they drop the bullet no. in? No. <laughs> yes. You got to drop it on a hard pan. Mm. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> it just has to be that way. And, and another convention I don't like. If you're going to dig a bullet out, let me tell you something. Taking one drink of whiskey is not going to numb that pain. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. So please drop the whiskey drinking shit. Let that person get fucking tanked and then take it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bit absurd. Uh, it's very macho, though, you know. It is muy macho. You know what works really well and holds up really well is the slugs in this film. Yeah, they really work. And and they are the cheapest effect in the movie. What? what? I, I, I remember because I, when I first got the disc, I watched it right away. I uh, I, I listened to the commentary. I watched the special features, but I can't remember now what the slug effect was. Do you remember what it was or how they did it? Yeah, I'll tell you just a second. I sh- we should say this disc is chock full of stuff. It's got a documentary that you can watch in whole, which is about an hour long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, broke up into pieces if you just want to watch pieces, but you can watch the whole thing together. So it's an hour long documentary on behind the scenes. It's great. It's got commentary from not only Fred Decker, but it's also got four the principal four cast members commentary on it as well. So mm-hmm. that's great as well. So with the slugs, what they did was, for the ones that move across the streets and really fast like that on hard surfaces, they put actual slot cars underneath of these uh, rubber uh, you know, prosthetic things they created. And because the, the slot cars are going on concrete, and concrete is only smooth to uh-huh. a car, but it's not really smooth to a slot car, right. uh, it looks like it's slithering. Yes. Ingenious. And then, of course, the cheapest effect is when they go across the grass, it's super easy. They just use really small monofilament wire or line, like fishing line. Fishing just pull it across. Line. And it looks great because it's going through that kind of semi-tall grass. It looks so realistic. It's ridiculous. Oh, it looks so good. It looks so good. And it goes, to, yeah, shows just the creativity. The slugs, that, a- I got to say, the slugs bother me. To this day, I'm still grossed out by the slugs. They have a great look. They, they, <laughs> they really do. have a great look. I have a problem with fast-moving small critters anyway. Uh I don't mind a critter if it doesn't move faster than me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that is. I don't think. I guess. I guess. I think I can put some uh, some Sammy Foo on them or something. You know, <laughs> like I can teach them some things, which is not actually the case. But uh, I'd probably get fucked up by a sloth, to be honest with you. But <laughs> but the when you see a bug in your house and you go to grab it and that fucker darts 
that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting dynamic. It all of a sudden kind of changes the way you think about the critter. It's like, okay, motherfucker, where is it? <laughs> well, what was funny? I was sitting on the floor watching the film in my basement, and uh, just yeah, you know, maybe too much information. But I'm sitting in my underwear watching it, <laughs> and I'm not lying. There's a moment. Did your, did your critter get up? My critter, yeah, my wife didn't move fast enough to avoid it. <laughs> oh, but uh, it's the dreaded I, northern Can- Canadian yogurt spitter. That's right, man. <laughs> but uh, I'm sitting there, and the slug goes across the screen, and I went down to get my pen to write a note, and a fucking spider darted across, like right by oh, my leg. Oh God, yeah, yeah, that's that's. And it was just kind of funny. Like spiders don't bother me. I actually yeah. just I just left it because you know they get rid of the other bugs and shit. But but it was just kind of funny that of all times, <laughs> yeah. Just think to kind of uh, to go spiders by. don't bother me either. But the last time I had a spider incident, uh, I was just I was in bed, uh, I was sleeping. I I sleep usually in uh, boxer shorts only, maybe a little TMI. But hey, we're dudes, you know. I mean, yeah. And I do that because I have a son now. That's right. So let's put it that way. And yeah. uh, I felt something on my leg, and I thought that's just my imagination, surely. It just kept coming up my leg. I was like, surely this is my imagination. It can't be anything. I pull back, and it is a fat, fuzzy motherfucking spider, man. That's a little different. Yeah, and it was a brown one. I'm not sure if it was a recluse or not, but it scared the fuck out of me. And down here we have a brown recluse spider, which is a deadly spider. If you if you get bit by one of those and you go Ooh. unattended, you can lose body parts. Jeez. And, it, and it's crawling toward my manhood, my critter, so to speak. Uh. So, you know, oof, man, talk about a scary moment. Yeah, no kidding. Because you're vulnerable at that point, right? Yeah, yeah I'm like a, I'm, I'm, I'm the proverbial elephant in the old cartoons. I'm literally jumping on the small chair and screaming. Awesome. Ah! <laughs> yeah, on the little, <laughs> yeah. little four-legged stool. Except my cartoon representation of my elephant, I jump up, I got a white suit on, I'm going tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, I love the the. When I think of, you know, because this is like a sweet spot for us, for our youth, but when I think of um, like college life, I think of like the college life in this, like 80s. Like I love that, that I think it's like neon blue kind of sun, electric blue. It says Pledge Week 1986. Yeah, I love the innocence. Hey, we, we talked about this. Uh, whenever we talk about a slasher, we always talk about this. But this film really uh, gets that innocent angle like perfect. Mm-hmm. It really does. It, it's a time that uh, I guess you know I'm not in frets. I never was, but and I'd imagine they still kind of exist to some degree. But I, well, I know they exist. But I'm talking about like Pledge Week and stuff like that. But when I was growing up, cinematic Pledge Weeks were some of my favorite moments in cinema. <laughs> oh yeah, the tricks they would come up with and stuff. I just I loved it. Yeah, it really is fantastic. Yeah. Really fantastic, um, but yeah, I love that, and it transitions from the fifties to this, and and uh, I was gonna call him Rusty. Um, Chris, Chris says my grandparents have more sex than me. <laughs> yeah, it's a great moment. <laughs> but it's great. But what's even greater is right after that when they they go to the the Beta frat house. It shows this dude wearing an electric peach argyle sweater, <laughs> which is amazing. There is some amazing like. You know, if you got the greasers and you got the socias, I mean, you got your upper class kids that are in this fret. There's some amazing clothes in this film. There is. There really is. <laughs> uh, uh, I got to say, we've already kind of talked about it, but I have to. Whitlow is like one of my favorite final girls. I think she's a perfect blend of sweet and pretty and believable enough to handle herself with a blowtorch. <laughs> like, yeah. she just 
just fits perfectly, which it's so hard to do because sometimes the girl can be grating or she can be too damsel or she's trying to overcompensate for her femininity. I think she just is directed perfectly by Decker in this. Oh, yeah. She's great, man. Um, I love the sign in the beta house. Betas are better. <laughs> just amazing. The betas are such the, – they really are the – just the definition of 80s douchebag frat boys. Yeah. They're just amazing. I love that the uh I love the bathroom too with all the the graffiti on the wall and uh and the stall and stuff and I love that it's obvious that our good boy Tyler was in there cuz it says striper rules really big on there. Dude, the the striper's rules, the striper rules moment is amazing because in like this moment of awareness they put JC in the stall wearing a yellow and black plaid shirt beside the striper fucking rules tag. <laughs> oh, Tyler's so, going to give me hell for that. But this is a joke. It's amazing. But <laughs> it's amazing. Um, we get the missing link, as JC calls him. He may have one eyebrow, but one thing the missing link does have is a half mesh shirt. I believe his name is Steve, right? Steve. That's right, because there's a phone call for Steve. <laughs> David Oliver. Let's see if he's done anything. Yeah. Oh, he did. Oh, wow. Defense play. What's that? Ooh. Steve. I'm looking he up Steve. He played Scott Denton. <laughs> Ooh, that Perfect. sounds like sounds like an asshole name. Yeah. Monty Markham directed it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, the great Monty Markham. I bet he's directed more films than Fred oh, Decker. Oh, man. <laughs> and he co-stars in it with William Frankfather. <laughs> oh, my God. I knew, we'd find a, I knew we'd find a bad name sooner or later. William Frankfather and <laughs> Da V. Chodan. <laughs> Ooh, fuck. Pat McKenzie. There's some names in this cast. There is, man. William Jeez. Frankfather. What the hell has William Frankfather been in? William Frankfather. Daffy Chodan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, William Frankfather was in Cool World. Death Becomes Her, The Rocketeer, Mouse Hunt. This motherfucker's got 68 credits. <laughs> William Frankfather worked. Ooh, man. He only, he, he only lived 54 years. Real, real first name. Real name is Billy Joe Frankfather. Born in Kermit, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Talk about a uh, tangent. Amazing. This looks. This looks like the kind of post you saw in the eighties. This defense play one. It's like the, he plays the lead. He's the lead in it. I think that. I think this maybe uh, Brian uh, Rupert might be a fan of this film. I think. Dude, this looks like a Brian film because it looks like Gotcha. Yeah. With with um. What's his name there from Nerds? Uh, oh, uh, you know, Anthony Taylor. Anthony, it looks like, yeah, it looks like uh, that kind of a poster. <laughs> like a gotcha or like um, the Manhattan Project or one of those uh, Broderick Hacker kind of war games or whatever. Looks like that. But uh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> the missing link. There we go. Um, Monty Markham. I'm seeing if he directed. I'm, I'm looking to see if he directed more films. Did Ooh. William Frank? William Frank. Hang on, that's, that's, I saw a GGTMC movie, and when I was scrolling through, and I'm looking to see who he, if he was in that. Could have swore I saw Rituals. Nice. Um, Go ahead, keep talking. We've <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that the betas even have like the paddle on the wall, like the ass paddle. Oh yeah, yeah. That's great. Which is great. It's oh. a really great touch. Hey, uh, Monty Markham directed Neon City. No way. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Oh, man. It's a small world. <laughs> it is a small world. Yeah, his back-to-back was defense play in Neon City, Daddy. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. How does that happen? I don't know. How do you go from defense play to a film starring Michael Ironside, Vanity, and Lala Zato? <laughs> that's, I love Neon City. What are the odds, man? Yeah, no, amazing. That dude's been working. He's still working, and he was directing 
Then he directed episodes of The Golden Girls, Baywatch, Melrose Place. Yeah, he did more work than Fred Decker, man. Ah, uh, there's the yeah, there's the rituals. The rituals was a TV series. Ooh, wonder if, uh, well. And to bring it full circle, he started in a, hot, a movie called Hot Pursuit and played someone named Bill Cronenberg. <laughs> Jesus. Jeez, it's just it's like that uh, that what's that uh, symbol? Uh, not the infinity symbol, but the snake that's never ending. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's called. I'm not some fancy book learning type, but uh, I love uh, I love that in the betas there's a few dudes that look like electricians named Dennis. Oh yeah, like they have like these mustaches and kind of feathered mullets, and you know they don't really look like beta types, but they had to fill a few roles. But I love the Bradster. We've talked about him. He really is like the Hitler youth kind of scumbag yuppie yeah. motherfucker in this to the point where they they don't just allude to him being like a Nazi youth, but they like there's one scene where JC like go says to him like go goose step somewhere basically. And then one of the next scenes we see the Bradster in <laughs> is he's wearing a fucking Germany tank top <laughs> while he's behind the bar. Yeah, they don't give the Bradster any hope but to be a bad guy in this, and that's fine uh, because it works for yeah. the film, right? It does. Yeah, he doesn't need to be fleshed out. He, you know, he doesn't need to be fleshed out at all. Um, he's fun as just a complete fucking shithead. But uh, uh, what is this? Oh, there's a great, just a lot of great exchanges between the characters early on, like with JC and Chris, and when they're kind of fighting back and forth about some stuff, but. It helps us to flesh out their friendship and kind of show that they really are great friends. Because when some things happen later on, some characters are in peril. It really makes you feel a lot more for them. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Like there's there's some scenes in this that are pretty poignant in the in the sort of grand scheme of horror films. <laughs> one of the uh, beta zombies. One of the actors. The actor's name is Eric Stillwagon. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, <laughs> he's right above Robert Kurtzman in the credits. Eric Stillwagon, and, and, and it's Eric with an A. It's it's so bizarre, man. <laughs> Craig Schaefer played uh, irksome cop at the cryogenics lab. I didn't know that. What what like the Craig? No, that's not that's not Craig Schaefer. It's Craig Schaefer. Yeah, right, right. It's not Craig Schaefer. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, that's a difference. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, you saw the. I don't know. I looked for him this time. Robert Kerman. You saw he was in this, right? Yeah, yeah. If those of you who don't know who Robert Kerman is, Robert Kerman is infamous. He is was in the most like a lot of the cannibal films. Um but he was also a porn actor. Uh yeah. he was in like one of the most infamous porns of all time, I guess uh, Debbie Does Dallas or whatever it's called. I think it's what yep. it's called. And uh, did a lot of porn work and stuff, but really one of the craziest stories of an actor who ended up like in Spider-Man playing the tugboat captain for Sam Raimi. <laughs> Figure that out. And and just like a year or like 11 years before, he was making porn still. So I don't know. He, he tried to go straight, but he's never really done it. So It's he, crazy. Greg Nicotero was an extra on this. Shane Black. Yeah. Him, now I found, and, him and Thing went to uh, UCLA together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that out after watching the documentary uh, the first time I watched this because I think it was on the, the DVD. It may have been on the DVD. I can't remember, but I, did, I didn't know Fred Decker and Shane Black went to school together. I didn't know that. So What's crazy is Robert Kerman is in it, right? And then also Robert Kurtzman is in it. <laughs> yeah. So Kurtzman, Berger, and Nicotero went on to form K&B, which That's is right. the, one of the uh, great uh, prosthetic... Um, effects companies yeah and burgers in it too yeah yeah so you got the three of them right they're all in this yep which brings me to my next point the special effects in this are perfect now are they um benchmark like the thing no but they're fun they're they're suitably gory they're suitably kind of ooh, kind of they're they're just perfect i think for the spirit of the film 
I think the head splitting slug jumping out thing works really well to this day. It works really well. The um, the only thing that doesn't really work well is the pile of slugs near the end of the film. Yeah, the stop motion animation. That that, that is, looks terrible. Yeah, that struggles big time. But the uh, the zombie like the uh, with the axe that works really well. Yeah, yeah, that works really really well. Um, what else do we got here? Oh, the first moment we see Atkins, we know he's GGTMC. He gets a coconut drink. He's wearing a white suit on the beach, <laughs> being served by high-heeled '80s long butt bikini girls. Yeah. <laughs> and he's getting a girl that comes out of the uh, the water. It's really, yeah. it's really nice. It's a nice it's moment amazing. for Atkins. Yeah, it is a nice moment, and I like just the little things that Decker Sprinkles in, like. That the Raymond Ch- Raymond Chandler novel, the Dashiell Hammett on the wall. Yeah, like it's, it's 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 got that hard boiled detective thing. Totally. I really do like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's got one of the great lines of all time that I have the T-shirt of, and I don't know where that is now. It's really going to bug me. Thrill me. It's just it's so great, yeah, man. It's, it's just, and it's not even his only great line. Like that's that's just one of like a lot. Um. There's a lot of things in this film. This film was ahead of its time in terms of being self-referential and self-aware, but not in like a smug way. Like, um, oh, what was that? Is this uh, what does it say? Is this uh, a homicide or a bad B movie? Yeah, Atkins yeah. says that when he gets on the scene, and you know, and it, it's the tone throughout. It, once it sets itself, it stays with that tone. It never goes above it, mm-hmm. and it never comes back below it. It always stays right. I think it's one of the most even kill films from like the opening frame to the last frame when it comes to quote unquote horror comedy. Yeah. It really, I watching it again, that's what I realized the most. I never got out of the atmosphere of the film and that's hard for a director to do. If a director can keep the atmosphere of a film straight from almost the beginning. And we're talking about a beginning with small people, little people running around in rubber suits, shooting laser guns in a spaceship and then managed to get to the end of the film, which we should say we watched the director's cut, which has us, we've watched the director's cut, and we both know the other cut by heart. So the director's cut, has, a, for those who don't know, has a little bit of a slightly different ending. We won't give it away here. Uh, neither here nor there. I could take it take it or leave it. I, yeah, I'm I do, with you. I do prefer the other cut because uh, mm-hmm. I like the way it ended. You know, It's, it's a punchier ending, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's a carry ending, right? So, yeah. You know, the, the proverbial carry. But anyway, I think that that's why... The lines, because if you think about some of the lines Atkins says in the film, if you don't establish him by saying "thrill me" and all these things and stuff, him saying "bullwinkle moose" is yeah. is stupid. Him- Bullwinkle moose, or I suppose Rip Rip Van Winkle would be the other body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what? Do you have a date? What do you mean he isn't here? Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite moments in the film, which in in lesser hands would totally bomb, is of course screaming like banshees. <laughs> screaming like banshees, which is amazing. And that dude's name is Minor. <laughs> yes, yes, Mr. Minor. That's right. So yeah, who was a second unit director on this film? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but, uh, oh, and just even the lines, like he says, like corpses that are 27 years old, do not get up and walk away by themselves. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. We get that shot too of the Bradster, just one more thing about the Bradster, that great moment. And it's just perfect. It's, uh, the close up of his license plate, which is a California plate <laughs> that says Bradster. And that's got the vanity plate around it that says it ain't easy being perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so perfect, man. Um, you know who I love in this film? To be piggish for a moment, I love the bookworm girl with the cat. Oh yeah, I do too. Fuck, what, I loved what her. What was her name? 
I wish I knew. She's really oh, fantastic. Man. I love I love glasses on a woman. Is, oh. it, is it Kathy? Is it Kathy? I don't know. No, it doesn't look like it's Kathy. Kathy looks like she might have been somebody else. She, I can tell you that this is a bit of a um, a wonders year wonders years. Oh <laughs> fuck! What am, where am I going? It's a weird science reunion because the main blonde girl from Weird Science is oh, yeah, yeah. in the film. She's the one that says, uh, "To what's her name? Cynthia. Brad's at the door." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, when I saw her, I was like, "Oh man, that's what's her name from Weird Science." I, I knew immediately. Uh huh. Well, she's and she's cute. Um, I always remember her getting bonked on the fucking head with Chet's uh, shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. You know, it would have been amazing if they had had Lisa Welchill in this, man. Oh, yeah, that would Getting have been naked. Nice. Oh, God. Well, yeah, that that's always nice. She's so amazing. Um, but then I would have felt bad because if that meant we would have had to get Mrs. Garrett getting done in with an axe, I would have felt terrible. Oh, man, I thought you were going to say Mrs. Garrett getting done in with a double-headed dildo or something. <laughs> yeah. And that would have been that would have been amazing, and my life would have been over. Yeah, that's so, so in my box of Kleenex, man. Ass to ass with Tootsie, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Making that ass clap, man. Oh, my God. Amazing. I can't believe we went there. That's what that recordings bring, man. Yeah, that's what they bring. Yeah. The badonka donk on Mrs. Garrett. I double might, ending it. I might use that material later when I hit the sack, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, fucking right, man. Um, I love that Atkins even has an old car. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's an old Merc. It's old Merc. I was going to say it's yeah. an old Merc. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what's a nice little touch is when you get an actor like him that, and a director who has the, the confidence to let him do a few, add a little few little flourishes is I love when he goes to the sorority house. He's someone who's very macho, but he allows him this moment of sentiment because that, that specific area means something to him because of something we've seen earlier in the film mm-hmm. is he allows him when he's walking by the hedge to stop by this pink rose and give it a sniff and just a little faint smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that little moment. We should also good. go ahead and induct... Uh, Tom Atkins into the Hall of Fame when it comes to smokers on screen. I think he's one of the great smokers. He he is a great smoker for sure. Um, this also has that great convention of, and it's really played to the hilt with the corner with a fucking like op- almost like an open face corned beef sandwich with a fucking face trauma victim on the concrete in front of him. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just like vag face. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Reminds me of Mrs. Garrett again. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> Um, oh man, the Bradster does one of the biggest douche moves in the history of cinema when he trips JC's braces out from because it's like he had polio or something. He's got the braces that go on your forearms and he has to walk with them. He trips those out on him and he's so unapologetic. He's such a motherfucker. Yeah, they give Brad, they give the Bradster <laughs> no redeeming qualities whatsoever no, in this None, film. none. And that is something else I miss about 80s cinema. And the mm-hmm. bullies of the films that we grew up on is that some of the bullies in those films had no redeeming values whatsoever. They were strictly there for to be a protagonist. They were, I mean, well, an antagonist, I guess. They were strictly yeah. there to cause problems. Yeah. And I miss that. I really do. Yeah, it's true. You know what would have been great is the black cop in this. If uh, it was, looks like it's played by Jay Art, no, not Jay Arlen Jones. I can't remember, but. Um, uh, Atkins has a black partner, and I think maybe it's a Wally Taylor, Detective Landis, maybe? Uh, yeah, it is Landis, yeah. Yeah, but I wish that he had been played by Bernie Casey. Oh, it would have been nice. <laughs> it would have been amazing. Um, 
do, 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 do. Oh, you know, there's a line, Brad. I, I keep going back to Brad's term, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, there's a line in this I've used on so many women that I've dated in my life that they've not understood what I meant, and it's gotten them more angry, but I couldn't help myself and use it. They'll be upset with me about something, and I'll stop them. And I'm not lying. I've used this probably a dozen times. Hey, babe, it's the Bradster. Lighten up. (laughs) And they'll just be like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) It's about those chuckleheads, isn't it? (laughs) Those chuckleheads. Chuckleheads. And immediately your name gets deleted off the cell phone. (laughs) Yeah. But I've used, hey, babe, it's the Bradster. I think I've actually even used it on Teresa. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It worked once then. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the scene in the washroom, which I won't divulge too much about what happens, it's a brilliantly conceived, perfectly executed scene that plays very well to the limitations of the person in the scene. Um, it, it, it gives us, it's such a, a tense scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't need to be a big set piece with fireballs and demolition derby. Like, it just, it's in a fucking washroom stall. Yeah. And that's it. And it works amazing. It's one of the more memorable tense scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. I like that scene a lot. I love that scene. Yeah, it's so good. And uh, do, 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 do. what else do we got here? I'm just trying to zip. Through. I got so many notes. Um, uh, I love, you know what's a, go ahead. I'm just laughing. One of the other weird coincidences of this film, man, is that one of the music supervisors on this film, Rick, Rick Obono, that's his name. <laughs> Rick Riccobono. Uh, well, it might be Rico Bono, but either way, Rick Rico Bono, Rick Rico Bono, it's an awesome name. But uh, he was actually the music supervisor on Rad. <laughs> no. Same year. Amazing. It's, it's that just, a, that's a good year. What a crazy, what a crazy, this film is like full of coincidences, like unlike any film we've ever done. Vahan Mus- Musikian is the production, nice Armenian boy. Yeah. A nice production supervisor. I wish my last name was Rico Bono. I wish, yeah, there's John Hammer Maxwell. <laughs> oh, oh my God. The assistant property master was David Harshberger. <laughs> Dude. The Harshberger. You're putting a harsh on my burger, bruh. And property master. Never mind the assistant property master. <laughs> the actual property master is Gregory R. Wolf. <laughs> Greg Wolf. <laughs> Jesus. Oh man, I gotta get off the names. Yeah. There's too many. It's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, it is. It really is. It really is. <laughs> okay, so I love the scene with uh, with Spanky and um, and Tom Atkins at uh, Tom Atkins' place. Oh yeah. When he says, "I found my high school sweetheart," and he goes on to say this and this and this, and that moment when he's telling that story and his voice is shaking and his eyes are wide, it's a great scene because he's not playing it like. Uh, there's more names. I can't look at them. I'm going to laugh. No. Jesus. <laughs> There's uh, that scene is played so perfectly because he doesn't play it too cool for school. He plays it like someone who's, who's just so shook up by what happened and so traumatized by what happened. And it's really a great scene. It is. And it shows that, you know, Tom Atkins is a, he is a really good actor. He's mm-hmm. uh you know, he can do comedy. He can do drama. Uh, you know, he, I've always felt like he's gotten kind of the, the, the shaft from Hollywood in a lot of ways because he did a lot of horror films, but he's, he's, you know, he's a great actor. like to give Mrs. Garrett the shaft, but (laughs) anyway, uh, another convention in eighties films is when there's a zombie, the police have to corner him in an alleyway and shoot him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which we get here. Yeah. 
Um, what did what did I, what did bad, what did good guys and bad guys ever do without alleys? That's a good question. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know what we need more of that it seemed to die with the eighties is someone falling in a dumpster and the dumpster door closing. <laughs> <laughs> that actually happened in a film we reviewed, but I can't remember which one it was. Now. Oh man, that was one of the ones everything in the eighties. <laughs> no, it did. <laughs> Just amazing. It even happens in Never Ending Story. It's amazing. Falcor, I think, gets the door shut on the fucking bullies at the end. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I love, love the uh, the 80s instrumental montage of um, the night of the prom with the girls and guys getting ready. Yes, it's amazing. I fucking, it's so stylish, and it's like, it's like a sexy kind of scene. It's got this music. There's showers. There's all this 80s kind of grab-assery at the frat house. <laughs> the, the girls are all kind of like naked and putting on makeup. And Yeah, it's the gratuitous scenes, right? I, I always, when I'm watching this film, I always think, man, this could be PG-13 nowadays. But I always forget about the fucks and the boobs and stuff. I always forget about that stuff. And the face vag. <laughs> well, that too, yes. That too. Oh, I never forget about that. but uh, No. But it's great because that's edited so well because it's got that stuff. And then it cuts to all these slugs racing across the green lawn. Mm-hmm. And the sound. We should mention the sound, too. The sound design of the slugs is great. Really great. It's so good. And there's also cummerbunds. Yes. Great cummerbunds. The tape recorder scene is heartbreaking. It is. And to bring it back to the sound, the voice work in that is really great and really unnerving. Yeah, I'm laughing at something else. I'm not being laughing at that. It, okay. it's, it's really good. It's really good. It's it's not the electrician named Thaddeus Wadley, is it? <laughs> no. no. Or Gary H. Swink? No, it's actually the costume design uh, credited to the to the next film we're doing. Okay. <laughs> Just you wait. Okay. Dick Miller's in this. The always lovable Dick Miller. Yes. Um, Ron Jeremy apparently, or his younger Mexican <laughs> brother was was one of the frat boy zombies. <laughs> They give that motherfucker three or four close-ups in this film. I think that might be Howard Berger. I'm not positive. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, actually. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I love, there's a great comedic moment with like this coin slot slug pop out of someone's mouth when someone's not looking. Yeah, yes. <laughs> which is so great. And then that ends with a flamethrower, which is amazing. Now, here comes the line of the film. It's the tagline. I love it. It's amazing. It's one of the greatest lines in the history of cinema. Yes. I got good news and bad news, girls. <laughs> good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. <laughs> I love I love when a hero uses the good news, bad news line. Oh, it's so amazing. And he and, and that's not even his last great line because like not even five minutes later, we get it's Miller time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. There's another so good. there's another Thaddeus in Road Games, believe it or not. No. Yeah, he actually is one of the policemen. <laughs> oh my god. Two films with the Thaddeus in it this week. That's incredible, man. The Thadster. <laughs> the th- yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I love the countdown with the wink. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It's great. I thought I got I could keep going. I'm gonna stop. Yeah, I mean we could go on forever for this. I don't really have a whole lot to add because I've talked so much during your review of it, but uh I will just say that, yeah, this is Atkins' best role. It's the role he'll always be known uh, for. And I, I do like the kind of hardball detective slash sci-fi slash horror mix. I mean, mixing genres like this is always tricky business. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they really don't hold up. But this one, through all these years now, has, has managed Almost to hold up. years old. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's really held up all of those years. I would actually think that this might be one of the first like hard horror films my son will probably get to watch. 
because outside of some some boobs and some and a couple fucks, it's not really. I mean, it's just gory enough to be kind of cool, mm-hmm. and just scary enough to be scary. I think, and yeah. just wonderful enough to be wonderful. I mean, I, there's really no other way I can say it. I I smiled the whole time I watched it again. I've seen this film a thousand times. Oh yeah, and I still wanted to watch it again. That tells you how much I love it right there. Because mm-hmm. me and Will even joked around. We're like, we could probably review this film without even watching it. Yeah. And we even joked around about that, but we both watched it again anyway. And that should tell you a lot about the film right there because I, you know, I, I got a lot of films I want to watch. I don't want to watch Night of the Creeps for the 1,001 time. <laughs> but it's, it's a special film. Uh, it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to you. And I think it means a lot to a lot of our listeners. And for those who haven't seen it, maybe the younger generations of uh, film fans we have in our group, or maybe some of the older uh, generation who haven't, who never kind of, you know, rolled the dice on this. Give it a whirl. See if you dig it. It's not a hardcore horror film, but it is a hardcore horror film lovers film. If that's that's the best way I can put it. You're spot on. It to me, if I'm ever getting, um, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, if I'm ever getting disenchanted with horror, I could put on this film, and it will remind me of everything I love about horror films yeah. and everything that can be fun and good and pure about horror films. It reminds me of everything I loved about written VHS and everything yeah. in the 80s, too. I mean, it just reminds me of everything I love about genre cinema. Spot on, man. That's just it. Before even, I for- even, like, I should say one, one last note. Even from the TriStar logo at the beginning. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Amazing. It's so great to see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love the TriStar logo. It is great. you got to go to Troy Sauer's wall because I'm not shitting you here. <laughs> There's a moment when the betas are posing for their prom photos. Yeah. The dude in the middle, he's wearing lime green cummerbund and bow tie. I pause the film to take a picture to tag Troy. (laughs) Teresa looks up. She goes, holy shit, that guy in the green looks like Troy. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Troy even says, I'm working the green pretty good, too. Uh, Yeah, man. (laughs) Amazing. Fucking Troy, what a beta. Yeah, that is. It was like a GGTMC moment there, man. I don't always carry my Stein with me, though. While I'm half blinking. <laughs> there's, hey, there's a lot of fucking great Steins in this yeah. film, boy. That guy on the back right looks like Adrian Zamed, bro. With a, yeah. And I think he's got a coconut. He does. How fucking how fucking cool do you think you gotta be to drink out of a coconut? There's st- all these dudes. Are, look at all these dudes are drinking out of is fucking steins and coconuts. Anyb- That's it. Anybody that drinks out of a coconut in my person will be made fun of immediately. I'm sorry, but that is Dude, a douche move. <laughs> Troy's got a coconut look <laughs> with an umbrella. <laughs> oh man, amazing. We love you, you Troy. Know, we gotta get him a coconut for next horror on, man. <laughs> We'll be at the grocery hollowing out a coconut. Yeah. I'll bring the hand dog or be fucking at the gazebo, fucking boring it out. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus. Shit. <laughs> oh, okay. So let's say you're make or breaks MVTs. I, I think uh-huh. I know what all your stuff's going to be, except I really don't know what your score is going to be. I think I know the ballpark, but I don't know that. Okay. And I'll be honest with you. I don't really know your make or break because there's so many great scenes in this yeah. film that I, my make or break is a question mark right now. So I'm trying to think of something. Mine was too, and I just had to write something down. Kind of like out of nowhere, I'm just going to go with the finale, like the last 20 minutes. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Because like everything in the film is so great, and for that last 20 minutes to somehow turn it up a notch 
and be more insane and kind of gory and fun and fucking flamethrowers and prom night. And that's when we get Miller time. (laughs) And the good news is the day your date's here. That's when we get all that. So for it to improve on the first 65, 70 minutes, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, And MVT was hard for me, too. (laughs) <laughs> because I don't feel like there's a weak link in this film anywhere. Well, I have I have some of my Sammy logic with my MVT, which you can imagine. So I'll see if you went the same way. My MVT is the whole team involved in making this film. Oh, well, well, hard from, to argue with that one. From the best boy to to Thaddeus, whatever, and to Thaddeus to David Swink or whatever his name was, <laughs> Eric Stillwagon, <laughs> Eric Stillwagon, um, to everyone because. I don't have a weak. There's the only th- the only gripe about this film is how awful the pile, like this the claymation uh, stop motion pile of slugs look. Other than that, I don't have a complaint. I just don't. Everything else works perfectly. Uh, my score for the film is an eight point. I'm gonna say an eight eight point five. I'll say an eight point five. Oh, nice, nice. Can't argue with that. All right. I didn't know Troy was uh, here lately uh, this past weekend uh, or today. Um, so I'm kind of giving him a little hell because I said, you should have told me you were in town, man. He was too busy stocking up on coconuts, probably. I don't know what he was doing, but, you know, he had to come down to had to come down to Louisville, get some of those Louisville coconuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they were all out of green cummerbunds in Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh okay here we go uh my make or break uh i'm gonna go with the bathroom scene with uh nice. jc yeah. i really like that scene i think it works uh great i really do um this works great um my mvt i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with atkins and i'll tell you why because i think more of fred decker is in monster squad than in night of the creeps okay uh, and I, I guess we could already probably tell if we did Monster Squad who my MVT would be. Yeah. But either way, uh, I do think Atkins is this is this is it, man. I mean, this is the Atkins role. I mean, I love him in just about everything, but I love him so much. I mean, he's we talked about him last year with Halloween Three and how great he was in that. But oh yeah, he's a bit of a creep in that one, but he has some great lines in that one as well. <laughs> I said, turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> I hope you're legal. Stop. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How old are you again? Uh, what a scumbag. I love it. <laughs> uh, my um, score, I'm going to go with a, let me see here. You know what? I'm going to say 8.5 as well. I had 8.25, nice. but uh, I'm right there with you. So 8.5, I'll stick with that. That I mean, this this film is near and dear to both uh, William and I. I mean, and it, it's just, it's a must-see, must-own, uh, in my opinion, and I'm sure... We'll we'll tell you same thing. So yeah, definitely. Oh man, totally. So good. And there, there's not a one moment in the film where I was bored. Yeah, yeah, and that, like I said, you know, we've watched the film God knows how many times between the both of us, and mm-hmm. here we are still watching it and still not bored. Yeah, and I love that. I really do. All right, uh, we're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about road games. So we'll be back right after this. Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Do you like podcasts where a guy talks about movies? It's not that very encouraging, but okay. You should tune in to Justin Oberholter's Film Wave, where each week I reveal a couple of movies and whatever else comes to mind. 
Now, does that sound good? Really? What if I got you a celebrity endorsement? Hey, this is Sylvester Stallone. Listen to Justin Oboltz's film rave. This guy is the cinematicist. He watches all the films that stars Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ah, much better. So tune in to Justin Oboltz's film rave. Go to freakingawesomenetwork.com, filmrave.lips.com, or subscribe on iTunes. All right, everybody, welcome back. Our next film is Road Games, 1981. Um, some of you might be wondering why there's no music in the show anymore. I should say that there'll be reasons coming for that later. We're trying to some, change some things and do some things differently, but uh, you'll, you'll hear about it. So I think I've said it before, but I just want to say it again in case anybody wonders why. Because um, I know we've always done it, but you know we're, we're thinking of making some changes. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you'll still hear bits and pieces every now and then. It's not going to go away completely. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't see how it could. So anyway, um, and yes, Will is right. Kelly, we do both love you very much. That is an awesome <laughs> uh, group photo. One of my favorites right there. <laughs> it's one of my favorite uh, whole scenes in the whole series is that whole moment where all that happens. Uh, you got to be a member of a group. <laughs> there you go. He, That's he, right, he, man. He just, you do. He just replied. Uh, okay, so our next film is Road Games. Do you want to synopsize or do you yeah, want to? Yeah, okay. I got sure. the synopsize. I got the synopsize, y'all. <laughs> Synopsizing up my ace. Yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Garrett again. Yeah. Oh, strap on. Oh, Wonder Bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just those floral print dresses, man. Oof. I can write with those like puffy shoulders, man. Those little frills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, Road Games. 1981 PG it should be said interesting yeah a truck driver plays a cat and mouse game with a mysterious serial killer who uses a young female it's like oh is that a bit spoilery a truck driver plays a cat and mouse game with a mysterious serial killer oh, on I'm... a desolate Australian highway yeah let's just go with that that sounds good cut out that one piece in the middle yeah. All right, so Richard Franklin, the director. Now, uh, Richard Franklin, part of the, uh, well, I guess you could say the exploitation boom, really, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a film I've always wanted to see called Dick Down Under. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I have this film. I didn't know it was the true story of Eskimo Now. Yeah, that's what it is. Fuck, man. I got this film. <laughs> nice. We might have to do that soon, then. Yeah, man. It's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, I'd like to watch that. I really would. I didn't even know it was that. I just knew the Dick Down Under name. Yeah, it's supposed to be pretty uh, a pretty smart um, riff on a commentary on a few things the film industry because they bring this woman. I, I I don't remember all the details, but I remember reading a, a great article about it and it made me get it. So yeah. So Richard Franklin, he uh, directed some interesting films. He was the director of this Road Games. He's been on our show before. I think you and Loaf and somebody else did Cloak and Dagger. I think it was uh, uh, me, Loaf, and and, and uh, Roop. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Uh, which is a fun little film. He did Psycho 2, which is a film I enjoy. Me too. Uh, he did Link and... Uh, he did, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, he did Patrick. Shouldn't forget and Patrick. And, and FX2. Yeah, FX2, which me and Will have professed our love for FX1 and 2 before on yeah. the show, I believe. So All about the animatronic clown. Yeah, yeah, they're fun films. Um, they came in a close second, maybe, to getting covered this Halloween season. Yeah, for real, that's true, yeah. yeah so... Um, so we, uh, the, when Large William selected this movie, I was kind of happy because this is one of the ones I, I, from that era that I really do like. 
and I enjoy, and uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. It's featured pretty prominently in uh, Not Quite Hollywood. Um, Franklin, had a, unfortunately, he had a short career. He died young. Uh, he was only 58 years old when he died. Fuck, man. So um, that's kind of a shame. Good to look forward to more stuff from him, I, was, I would hope. Now, this is definitely a riff on Hitchcock. So, oh, absolutely. And, and Franklin's always professed his love for Hitchcock. Yeah. And uh, it, it really is maybe more so a riff on Rear Window than anything. Yes. Um, but what I will say is, even if it is a riff on that, I still think the beginning of Rogue Games is, is great. I, I mean, I love the first 10 minutes of this movie so much. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And <clears throat> what I realized watching this film the, this time, I've seen it a few times before, but what I realized this time, for those who, this, this DVD is out of print, so... Uh, there's no Blu-ray release or anything like that, so you, there is thankfully some uh, somebody nice on YouTube put it up in like seven parts, so you can watch it that way. Um, but it, uh, I mean, if you want to hunt the DVD down, go ahead, or if you have VHS or something like that. But I mean, this is one of those movies, right? But um, what I love so much about this film is the relationship between Keach and his dog Boswell. Yes, Boswell's played by an actor named Killer, which is the actual dog's name. Uh, great looking dog, dingo. Uh, I think it's actually. I don't think he's actually a dingo. I think he's a. I think I looked him up earlier that he's actually a, maybe not full dingo, but I'm not positive about that. Uh, I'm not even gonna waste my time. What I wanted to say, I just want to get this out of the way. The the costume designer in this is Aphrodite Condos. <laughs> so, <Whoa. laughs> that's a Greek know. name. Is it K O N D O S? Uh, yeah, K O N D O S. And then that's a Greek lady, Aphrodite. I, I, I knew. Isn't Aphrodite the goddess of love? I don't know. I just know my rent there was only five fifty a month. So I'm yeah, down. man. I can tell you, I knew a girl in high school. Yeah, Aphrodite is the god of love. Yes. Yeah, I knew a girl in high school named Aphrodite. She was fucking breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, she, this girl, like, she could have been in Playboy, man. Like, she, she was Greek, but she had that, like, that all American blonde look with just a little hint of exotic. Man, she was fucking dynamite. Nice. But anyway, yeah. enough about Aphrodite. Aphrodite Condos is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of oh. people who should have been in Playboy, Stacey Keach does put in a great turn in this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> it, it's great. Someone mentioned this. Sean Casper, I think, that. Go ahead. It's kind of cool. We doubled a Franklin, who's a really underappreciated filmmaker, yeah. who makes smart genre films, and Decker, a new screw was cut short, and Decker, who is an underappreciated genre filmmaker who makes smart genre films, and their leading men, Stacey Keach, someone who's underappreciated, although I think he's a little more celebrated than Atkins. Yes, Atkins he really is. only known in genre circles, but, but Keach is an amazing underrated actor. Well, Keach has um, actually been nominated for an Oscar. I don't think Atkins has ever been nominated for he, Yeah, that, that train's come and gone if it was ever at the station. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but Keach is an amazing actor, and, uh, and you know, Atkins is too in his own right. So it was in, And these two films both have incredible posters. The poster for this... Oh, it's is, one of the best. It, one of the greatest posters of all time. I fucking it's, love it so much. It's oh ridiculous. my god! It's so fucking amazing. It really is, and it's it's got a great GGTMC esque glove. Yeah. It's got fucking. It's genius. They put the fucking road stripes down the middle of her shirt as a zipper. Yeah, it is so, fucking ingenious. Yeah, man. It is one. I, I am with you right there, hundred percent. One of my notes is one of the greatest movie posters ever created. It's just. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, even Italian giallo guys are weeping when they saw this thing. 
Yeah, man. I mean, this is brilliant stuff. Yep. Um, and it's, it's it's got a great opening. I mean, wh- like I said, okay, well, let me get to say, Stacey Keach, uh, he, he's been on our show before. I don't know if I've done a film with him. I know you and Mike Yes, Malloy. you did. Ninth Configuration. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, well, but I may have not have said this then, but I'm going to say this now. Maybe I did, but I want to say it again. Stacey Keach is an actor that was made for the 70s. Yes. That is the type of actor the 70s gave us. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the great... I just noticed one of the character names, and this is Benny Balls. <laughs> <laughs> I forget he calls all these people names. Benny Balls, Captain Careful, Careful. Sneezy, Sneezy Rider. Sneezy Rider is amazing. Um, Fred Frugal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but Bill, Benny Balls is great, man. It's an editor of Corky Warlock. Yeah. Um, but he is his face is not Hollywood matinee. He's got a, I, I guess it was a, is it a hair lip scar? Is that what it I, is? I believe so, yes. And he's always kind of wore a mustache through the years to kind of not hide it, but disguise soften, that. I think yeah, the soften that. Cause that can, as he's gotten older, that's become even more pronounced than it was then. Um, but, but he was still, even with that, he was a very good looking man in the seventies, but he was very much a man's man, a seventies actor who he, he didn't have the physique. Uh, I mean, he was big and, uh, very commanding on screen, but he didn't have, you know, nowadays everybody has to have washboard abs, which is, it, it's getting so painful now to watch modern cinema because everybody has to be a fucking Adonis to go back to the Greek thing. Ugh, even in wrestling, you see that now. It's ridiculous. It, it totally is. There's no, like, just watching Bullet in the Head, there's no reason, there's a shower fight scene in it. The only reason for that shower fight scene is just so you can see a near 70 year old man in, in, in the condition he's in. Did, I forgot to ask you, not to digress, but did you like, uh, uh, fuck. So I was going to say Song Kang Ho, um, the Korean actor, uh, his partner. Yeah, I liked him. I liked him. Uh, they, they, it, their chemistry wasn't great, but it was good enough. I love him. Yeah, he, no, he's good. I've seen him in other stuff. I've seen him in other stuff. I know he's in the Fast films, but I've, yeah. seen, him, I've seen him in other stuff too. But he, okay, he is cool. good. He is good. I think he's got a natural charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, Keech is just like, he's just one of these actors. And, once the seventies cinema died, really Stacy Keach died with it. Not mm-hmm. not really. I mean, he's worked a lot, but Stacy Keach was huge in the seventies. He made a lot of great films in the seventies. And yeah. in the eighties, he ended up being more of a character actor, which is where a lot of these guys ended up going. It's really a shame because Stacy Keach was as good as any actor in the seventies. Absolutely. Uh, Robert De Niro's, your Al Pacino's, all these guys. I don't know if he really had those kind of parts, but I, I think, you know, if I had to name 10 great actors from the 70s, Keech is definitely there. I agree completely. And our sister show, Sylvan Gold, recently covered Fat City, the John Huston film. What a film that is. I yeah. mean, it's, it's yeah. an incredible film. And I think the reason why, as I get older, the more and more I love 70s cinema isn't so much because <clears> the filmmakers <throat> themselves were so much involved and and they had more say than the actual studios. I think it just really kind of comes down to it's an era in cinema where people actually looked and acted like people. Mm-hmm. People toys. Yeah, people were actually people. Robert De Niro was not a Hollywood star. He did not look like a Hollywood star. Dustin Hoffman, forget about it. That guy does not look like a Hollywood star. Now, these yeah. guys are Hollywood stars now because we know them. Their name carries weight. Their history carries weight. You know, all of these things. But in in the 70s, these were average-looking dudes. Mm-hmm. They got these roles, and I think that's what I miss the most. And this is another great example. What I love about Australian cinema, and we talked about this with Wake and Fright, is the faces. The faces in this film are amazing. The, the, the background actors in this film 
are some of the most pleasant and interesting faces. And when I say pleasant, I don't actually mean pleasant, but <laughs> interesting faces to look at. I mean, there's just, I don't even know if I want to give away one actor's name in this because it kind of gives, well, I guess you can kind of give it away though, can't you? Cause I think so. It's not really a mystery, right? I mean, mm. it's pretty much set up from the get-go what he's doing. I mean, Keach knows and the audience knows and you're kind of playing along with it. Yeah. Just, just like rear window in a way. So, okay. Well, so Grant Page is in this and, uh, you know, he has one of those great faces. Grant Page and Grant Page's stunt double in this, ironically, was Barry Gibb. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like Barry Gibb in this one. <laughs> but he, he's got that great face, man. And uh, he, he does. And one of the great, great stuntmen of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been an interview with him on our show, right? I think uh, mm-hmm. Aaron did that. Aaron, our main man. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that must have been awesome to talk to him because I'm sure he's got a million great stories. I would love to talk for us to talk to him sometime and try to get some stories out of him because I'm sure he's got a ton of them. Oh, um, but uh, that was back when stuntmen and their lives were cheap. <laughs> so were the girls. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's in this film driving a great van, a great uh, like <laughs> one of these love van type things. There's these great little moments of that beginning with the electric shaver. Well, first of all, we should mention the guitar string. Great. A weapon of death. I don't think I've ever seen another film that's ever used one. Mm-hmm. Uh, piano wire is known, but guitar strings not so much. I love that. Yeah, it's a great because um, it feels very visceral mm-hmm. and well, intimate. I love that blown out bathroom lighting. Oh yeah. When he opens the door, all they need is some smoke to come out underneath that, and it's like this <laughs> almost like Dario Argento type moment, you know. Well, this feels very jolly in spots, which you know you can talk about the end, the, the circle of. That circle of, um, I think the first half of the film feels very Hitchcock, which feels very Jolly, which feels very De Palma, Argento. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the whole first half does feel that way. I think the whole second half feels very Ozploitation, right? It yes, feels it does. Very road much, film. Yeah, because as we always say, they do road stuff, and you can immediately tell if you've watched a lot of cinema in your life. When you watch an Aussie an Aussie film, you can tell their road stuff is always unique. It and th- there's nothing in this that's like mind blowing, but no. it still has an Australian feel. It mm-hmm. is. I don't know what it is about their car stuff. It just it just works for me. It works great. I agree. And uh, this one's got a lot of great car stuff in it. Um, okay, let me get back into the film a little bit. Uh, like I said, his relationship with his dog is great. He has these great conversations. That's where he's kind of naming people: Benny Balls, Captain Careful, Ooh, Sneezy Rider. You know, these little great moments and stuff. I will say, watching this again, something I never noticed, but looking at this with a critical eye, knowing I'm going to put myself on record recording this, talking about this film, I have some serious issues with the kind of World War II marching type music. Uh, I can tell you that I think it's the worst thing in the film is there's three big gripes I have about this film. That is number one. It is a huge, huge problem it sticks out like a sore thumb i love the film yeah and this is a prime example of how integral music is to film because it takes you out of the moment it it diminishes moments that could have been fantastic if they were scored well and effectively yeah it feels like almost like like great escape type music yeah it's it's, really it's like really out you know it's really out to pasture i really don't know what the hell's going on with that stuff i really don't it's worse than um than uh, Pino Donaggio's stuff in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in um, Raising Cane. Raising Cane. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is scored by Brian May, not the Brian May that everybody knows from uh, Queen. Queen. That would be amazing. But it's actually Brian May, who is a one of the, I guess, quote-unquote, legendary Australian 
um, uh, film composers. He did some work for Brian Trenchard Smith. He's done. Uh, he did Road Warrior. He he's done a lot of stuff. Did Stage Fright. So actually, yeah. Did he do Stage Fright? Yeah. He, no, he didn't do that Stage Fright. Fuck, Rick. What's wrong with you? That's got Gary Sweet in it. <laughs> but he, <laughs> he did do Escape Two Thousand, which you may have heard of, also known as Turkey Shoot. Yeah, or Thatcher's Blood Camp. <laughs> yeah, which I love that title. It's so fucking bizarre. <laughs> We did Patrick and, you know, Mad Max and stuff like that. <laughs> Toward the end, uh looks like he, oh, he came back. He still, no, he died. In, ooh, he died in 97. I didn't know that. He didn't live very long. Only 62 when he died. Man, that's one of the Australian guys, man. You guys go hard out there in Australia. He did Sad. One of his last films, though, was uh, Dr. Giggles. <laughs> so, oh, nice. <laughs> that's interesting. little... Little oh, I didn't know he did Still Dawn and Death Before Dishonor. Awesome! Fuck man, that's amazing. That's an amazing uh, trifecta right there. Yeah, you know, Still Dawn. I want to cover that at some point anyway because it's directed by a guy named Lance Hool. Oh uh, yeah, is he Dutch? I don't know, but I love that last. It sounds Dutch. Hool, Hool. Yeah. Is it H O O L? Oh yeah, it's got to be Dutch. Dutch. It's got to be Dutch. Dutch. Yeah. Anyway, back on uh, back on point. Oh, he did Thirst too. I'd like to do Thirst at some point. That's the uh, Silva yeah. Silva one. Yeah, that's a good one. It is a good one. <laughs> All right, so back on point. Jesus, we're really rambling night. These nights, these night ones. So, uh, truck drivers and drugs—that's an old stereotype. Um, I grew up with it. my best friend's dad was a truck driver. I know you. Your dad is a truck driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, the '70s truck driver is known uh, for. Uh, staying up all night or staying up all day and all night sometimes three days in a row i don't know if you know i don't know if your dad ever did that but i know the guy that i knew did it oh yeah i mean you know before the years of log books and you know you could get serious trouble for doing it yeah but yeah back you know i mean the faster you get there the more money you make i mean essentially it's you know the more runs you can do the more money you make i mean that's why that, that that becomes the culture right so yep it's very easy to fall into that um, I can tell you this. I was looking through the trivia for this film because I wanted to find out some stuff I didn't know. And I was hoping I would find something. And I did find something. Oh, it should be said. Uh, Brian May actually scored Cloak and Dagger. How's that? Oh, there you go. I didn't know that either. That, that scores memorable for me for some reason. Anyway. Um, the 360 shot in the... In the cafe, the roadhouse, yep. so to speak, the studio wanted uh, Franklin to cut that because they said it added nothing to the film. I think that's one of the most pivotal moments of the movie. Agreed completely. I think that right there establishes what Stacy Keach's character, Quid, is totally up against. Agreed. He is the the unwanted factor in the middle of the outback. He is a stranger in a strange land. And I think that scene, as as loud as it is, obnoxious as it can be, and sometimes I think it establishes great tone and great sense of suspense. I think it's as, as suspenseful in some ways as the opening. I agree. It's a wonderful scene, and that's where again it reestablishes that jolly feel. Stranger in a strange land. Yeah, I'm glad that he fought for that because I think that's a very important scene. I agree completely. Yep. Um. Let's see here. Uh, I like the uh, the Fred and Wilma signs on the bathrooms. Yeah, those are good. The, the, you know, the boys going to the Freds, the ladies going to the Wilmas, of course. And I love the whole bathroom scene. Although I got to admit, watching this this time, uh, he, Keech's character is talking to somebody in the stall. And he says, 
butchering one young girls is one thing, but when you're hurting my animal, you made a big mistake, pal. I'm sitting there yeah. thinking, really? <laughs> I know. So butchering women's not that big a deal. But yeah, it's okay. It's a, it's a weird line, you know, but it's one of those lines where you pay attention to it if you have to look at it critically. But You do. And you know what's another thing that feels very Italian, very like ripped out of a, a giallo? Is the 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 motorcycle rider in the red leather? Oh yeah, yeah, it's, that's great. It feels so Italian. It really does. I think we can go on record and say though that Stacy Keach in this film is the worst motorcycle rider of all time. <laughs> he makes it about ten yards. Yeah, <laughs> and he crashes. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite moments in the film. It's like, yeah, he's getting ready to get him. He's getting ready to get him, and it's like <laughs> he just runs into some tires. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great to always have one of the worst in cinema history and i think that stacy keach might be the top right now for when it comes to bad motorcycle riding in cinema which, yeah which we've covered some <laughs> yeah we've covered some i think that the one of the great things about this film is that it's a pure film i mean it it uses it uses the technique of film to establish suspense there's some great stuff with uh uh pig carcasses i won't get into it in case for those who haven't oh, seen yeah. it yeah uh that's really a nice touch there's uh, great moments where the Grant Page character, you see mostly just eyes or maybe a nose. Um, there's some great red herring moments. I like some of the setup of the Keach character. I like uh, some of the other things that are going on. Uh, it's not a film I think you can spoil because I think it sets itself up from the beginning. But I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to give away some of the stuff at the beginning, at the end. But I, I do think this is one of those films. It, the the whole film hinges on the performance of the lead and yes. Keach is so good in this. Uh, it's one of his best performances. Now that's saying something. He, this guy's got a handful of great performances, but this is definitely one of my favorite Keach performances. I think he is so good in this mm -hmm. playing this man out of place, out of time, even in some ways. And out of frankly, even the job that he's doing is not in line with who he is. Yeah. Cause yeah. he makes a point a few times to say, I may drive a truck, but I'm not a truck driver. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I Again, what work? I don't know why truck driving works for me in cinema, but it really does. It always has. I agree. I think it's the nomadic or maybe western. Yeah, the western, maybe the open road, mm -hmm. uh, the idea of being out there on your own, the adventure, all of those things. Maybe it goes back to people setting sail for new land or something. I don't know, but it, there's something about it that works in cinema. And this is, of course, shot in Australia, so they're driving on, you know. Uh, the right side of the road for them. I think they're driving on the wrong side of the road for us, but that's me. I think I think so. I can't tell. They're really like most Australian films I've seen. No offense to our Australian listeners, but it looks like you guys don't use any side of the road. It looks like you just drive right down the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and if anybody's got anything, they just drive right over it. <laughs> just run over the fucking things. But I do think it revolves a lot on Keach. Now Jamie Lee Curtis is in this film. She is also good in this movie. I, I like her in the film. It's really kind of a thankless role in some ways because she's yes. really just barely in the movie. And mm -hmm. I didn't really realize that until I watched it this time, how little she actually is in the film. Yeah, it's true. But they have It's some, one of those classic things of overselling. Yeah, but they have a great conversation, too, at a camp and uh, like a little fireplace and stuff. And that's a great scene. So it's another moment where, you know, Keech is kind of having some fun and I... I don't know, man. I, I really enjoyed this film. I think it's a great performance piece. Um, I think that, honestly, it, it should be released. I wish, it, I hope it gets a Blu-ray release. I really do, because oh, I would love too. to own this. And I, I know we'll be doing more Richard Franklin down the road, because there's mm -hmm. quite a few other films of his we like. 
Oh, big time. So, so I'm looking forward to talking about him some more. But I got to say, this was this was really I, it was great when you picked it because it was like one of those moments where I was like immediately like smiling. It's one of those ones where you I, I send Will a message and this is like what I'm going to watch and I'm thinking, well, he's going to love this because I know he loves this movie. But then he sends me one and I'm like, oh fuck yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We haven't done that. And it was just like one of those great moments because it was great to revisit this. So that's my thoughts it's, on road games. Yeah, it's awesome to get to do like a, a fun double. Well, I had to, I had, I had to come with my A game because you were picking something. I was like, man, he picked something amazing. I can't come with any weak sauce. I got to really bring something good here. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's cool, man. Um, those are all your notes, yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we talked about Franklin the cast. This was ex- the most expensive Australian film that Tim was made. How much did it cost? Uh, I don't know. Three million, four million, maybe more. Maybe I don't know exactly. You know something we didn't say in uh, our last review. I think Night of the Creeps cost five million. Only made five hundred thousand. That's that's mind boggling. It really is. Oh, this cost one million eight hundred thousand the time it was made. Wow, that's Guess they work cheap. Yeah. Well, one uh, eight, one one point eight in nineteen eighty one. That is pretty high though. Yeah, I guess. I don't know what the average film in Hollywood was being made for back then, but. You got to remember, I mean, movies didn't really start getting out of control until maybe ninety one, or no eighties, probably late late eighties. Well, Gilliam was going nuts in the eighties, and then Cameron and some of these guys started going a little crazy. So yeah, Cameron's the one I think. Of. I think of the hundred million mark with him. Yeah, well, eventually the hundred million mark became like the standard, right? Now nowadays yeah. it's like two to two fifty is the standard. It seems for the big, yeah, big movies, which is just insane. It's nuts. I can remember when Water, we said when Waterworld was being made, it cost $200 million. Everybody's like, it's going to fucking tank. <laughs> well, of course, you yeah. know, Titanic's a great example. I mean, I didn't think that movie was going to make its money back. Boy, was I no. wrong. Oh, yeah, we all were. Fuck. We all were. Uh, much like us, Stacey Keach loves a disco dolly for dessert. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the CB, which is so great cinematically. And it's something that, again, kind of, Technology's pushed it the way of the dodo bird, right? Yeah. Do, do you like that? I was thinking about this the other day because I almost bought the Blu-ray because it's on sale. Did you like that truck film Joyride at all? Joyride. Is it the one with uh, your boy from Fast and Furious, uh, Paul Walker and Steve Zahn? Oh, I never. That's the one where him and his sister are hitchhiking or something? No, it's him and Steve Zahn are driving, and they decide to play like a little trick. They're going to see. Never saw it. Yeah, they decide to play a trick on a truck driver. Now, the front, it's written by J.J. Abrams. So the front 45 minutes to an hour of that are great. Yeah. Uh, So I would recommend you check it out for that reason because it's only like an hour and a half. But yeah, the first bit of that is really, really good. You should definitely check it out. Oh, nice. I'll have to. Zahn's a guy that was cashed in a lot of checks for all, but he seems to have dropped right off again. Yeah, he seems to have disappeared again. Uh, and Paul Walker, I'm, I'm not like I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Fast films, but I, I, I can take or leave him, but sometimes I think he's really good, and sometimes I think he's... Yeah, he can work. He's got a look, right? So, oh, yeah, he's definitely got a look. Yeah. But he doesn't sure. really... He just never really... You know, he, he looks great, but he just never really stands out for some reason. I don't know. There's yeah, kind no. of... Although I will say, he, he was one of my favorite parts about the first Fast film, the interaction between him and... Uh, Diesel was probably my favorite thing about that film. Yeah, it's uh, not. The, he, he, you appreciate him more as the series goes on. Yeah. Um. Okay, so Sorry. I just saw maybe the most. Wow. Okay. Um. We and you know one thing I like too that they establish with Keech is the hallucinations that he's mentally unfit a little bit just because he's been driving all night and. 
you know, it just it, it's that great thing where we we don't know initially if we're on even footing with him. Even mm-hmm. yeah, it's a unreliable narrator thing. Um, and the thing does a lot of very gialli ask things: the mesh gloves, the close up of the hands, the toilet, and the close up of the eyes and the mouth and the piano wire, and that great kind of meta shot of the meat. Yeah, and uh, it's all very stylish early on. Like I said, the only thing that that detracts is the the music. It's dreadful. Yeah, it's just that that one theme, man, that, you know, that here we go marching down the road. You know, it's one of those. Fuck, we got a great big convoy. I got a truck of pigs. Let's fuck Miss Garrett. You know, that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Inside the pig's carcass, sodomize her all night. Um. <laughs> In a ruffled shirt with a floral print. Yeah. Um, and Joe's in the corner with a strap on. Yeah. I'm feeling too much. What's his name? Uh, Ken, Ken, what's his name again? Ken Waller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, practicing his bowling grip on old Joe. Amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, Everett uh, DeRoach and uh, Franklin wrote this. Everett DeRoach is a pretty accomplished writer, it should be said as well. Um, let's see what DeRoche has written. Yeah, Patrick, Storm Warning, which is okay, Razorback. He did a lot of stuff in the in the genre in the country. Oh, Storm Warning was that more recent uh, slasher from Australia, right? Yep. You know yep. what? I, I never saw that. It's okay. It it's has okay. some really bad logic. Okay. It's okay, though. It's decent. Yeah, I remember some people kind of repping for it, but I never got around to it. Uh, it's okay. I wouldn't rush. Oh, okay. Um, I wrote Long Weekend. Yep. Nice. Yep. Uh, Keach did his own driving, apparently, in this, which is cool. That is cool, because uh, those old trucks don't drive like the new trucks. No, they don't at all. <laughs> and there's some pretty great uh, stuff. I, I, I wonder if he did the stunt driving, because there's some risky shit going on here with that truck. I bet he did. I, I don't know. I bet he didn't do the stunt driving. I bet Paige was in that thing. Yeah, Paige might have been, man, for sure. Because he was definitely um, a wild man when it came to uh, uh, stunts. Rampage. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The dingo slash dog talk felt like, well, this predates him, but it's very Tarantino. Yeah, it really is. I think Tarantino's a big fan of this one. I think. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think and, he is. And even some of the dialogue, even some of the exchanges between the men and women, feels very classic and kind of a Hitchcock or kind of not zany but kind of screwball, kind of zingy back and forth stuff. Some of the stuff between the sexes in this, mm-hmm. uh, like there's a really great exchange, um, sort of a uh, intellectual kind of cat and not cat and mouse, but this um, kind of verbal joust or intellectual joust where he's talking about some imitation leather boots. Yeah, yeah, which I like that. That was good, and we like, we get that same thing of the voyeurism, right, that we see in Rear Window, mm-hmm. right down to the shot with the um, with the binoculars. Um, there's a, a a line in this that uh, I'd seen the film maybe three or four times. No, probably not that way. Two or three times before this, I didn't realize it until I'd seen it this time. There's a really great um, house track that I like by Armin Van Helden. He was a pretty big DJ, uh, and it's a pretty pretty sleazy song. It's called Entra Mi Casa, which if you translate the Spanish to English, it's a really filthy song. <laughs> nice. I mean, unbelievably filthy. And the girl in it, like, I've, I've wanted to know for years what she looks like because she has an amazing voice. But anyway, in the beginning of that song, the line he says, I'm talking about sex. I never knew what that was from, but it's from this when, uh, when Keith is outside the truck with the old woman. 
Yeah. So, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's pretty. Fu- it's pretty funny, actually. It is funny, and there's again a vertigo nod with the foot chase at the end of that little foot chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, we talked about the red leathers being very jolly, and you know another thing too that is very much a dead, a dead red. Holy fuck, a deep red nod is the moment when Keech is on the phone and there's noise and everything else, and it's mm-hmm. like he can't get through to the person on the phone, like. Because it's so loud, it almost felt like Hemmings at the coffee shop in Deep Red. Yeah, th- that's the thing about this film. I think the only original bone this film's got in its body is that it's shot in Australia. Yeah. Because this film is definitely like what they make fun of Quentin Tarantino for now. Mm-hmm. This is really, in my opinion, the same thing. This It's obvious to me that Franklin was friends with John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought John Carpenter, I know he's a huge fan of Deep Red. Oh yeah, and, and a lot of deep red leaked into Halloween, and oh, I've, always, I've always felt like Hitchcock, Argento, these guys influenced Franklin as well, and he's basically just riffing on the whole idea. I mean, this movie is so much like a Hitchcock movie; you could argue that it's 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 plagiarism in a way. Yeah, the only difference is it's the Australian aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. And truck driver, and, and then, yeah, mobile. It's, it's it's it's. I think it it changes things enough that it's not shameless, like. Yeah. It's it's very much an homage, but yeah, it's very unobvious homage. Certainly, yep. um, really great use of sound and editing with the kind of cat and mouse with the bell on the boat and the anchor on the road. Like that scene was really well done. Yes, it was. Really, really well done. Um, and uh, I love that we don't see the hitcher's face for like the first thirty, forty minutes of the film. We just the back of them. Yeah, see, I kind of, I kind of wish in a way they would have kept going with that. I agree. I agree. It would have been nice. I know. I know that's kind of a thing that you know we expect in the thriller, but I, I think they should just kept on his boots or maybe on his hands and those mesh gloves or something. I, mm. I don't know. Maybe they should have just you know shown bits and pieces of him, but never his face until they absolutely had to. Maybe that's an old convention, but I think it would have worked still. As do I. As do I. Um. What does this say? Oh, again, to sort of this odd, circuitous kind of into everything's connected. Jamie Lee Curtis gets picked up by an older man, and she says, he says to her, aren't you too young to be hitchhiking? And she says, aren't you too old to pick me up? Now, that reminds me of an exchange between Tom Atkins yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis in the fog. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Very odd. Actually, I think that's where... I think I read in the trivia... Yeah, go ahead and keep talking. I think I read in mm-hmm. the trivia that that's maybe where um, Franklin came upon Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah, because he wanted someone else originally. And in fact, Connery, Sean Connery was supposed to play the key role, but he, they didn't have it in the budget. Yeah, he probably cost... Yeah, no, he, yeah, he... Franklin then visited friend John Carpenter on the side of the fog where he met Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, there you go. I also think that if it had been Connery, like it wouldn't have worked so well because Connery is like macho man. Uh, he's too stoic. He's too he's too stoic. He's too rugged. Like he's too there, much of a movie star. Yeah, there's there's still an air of vulnerability and and fallibility with Keach. There, to me, Sean Connery is one of those actors who I never have never thought he's a great actor. What I do think he is is he's Sean Connery. He carries so much fucking gravitas that you yeah. know. When he's on screen, even when he plays a character, he's still fucking Sean Connery. Every time I see him, I say, "Oh, there's Sean Connery." So he just he he wouldn't have worked. I wouldn't have bought him not for a second. No, no. This was again that that um, happy accident, I guess. No, Keach just fuck. Well, that and Keach just works. He looks like an everyman. 
Mm-hmm. And he and yet he he carries that weight without like Connery doesn't have to say anything. No, and Keach, you know he he pulls that emotion and that weight out. Yeah, he totally does. And he's talking right, like he's he has to almost talk himself through some things, which I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat, speaking of Patrick, Patrick is in this film. He's got a small cameo near the back end of the film. Does he? The titular telekinetic Patrick, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember where it was, but it was at the back of the film. I'd seen him. I thought, oh, fuck, that's Patrick. You know, I always think of uh, Garrett Graham when I think of Patrick. Even oh, though, yeah. He looks like a thinner yeah. version of Garrett Graham. Yeah, I always think of the Garrett Graham. I never, I, I don't know why that is. I guess it's because he does look like him. But every time I think of Patrick, I think of Garrett Graham. <laughs> no, but that's that's pretty spot on. Uh, I think, that, again, the thing of perception. What is he seeing? Rear window, again, Hitchcock, Rigiallo. Again, I love all that. Um uh, some great close-ups. Um, what is this? Oh, I thought that the dog not barking was a, uh, a pretty nice little convention that we get a fantastic payoff for, or like you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It works towards something. Oh, I don't want to say fantastic, but it, it has a payoff. Um, I like that. There's moments when it feels like one man kind of left to his thoughts and his paranoia, and it's like you you begin to kind of think. I almost thought, like, you know, wouldn't it have been kind of interesting? Ah, I can't actually say anything. Yeah, no. There's there's certain films that they kind of riffed on um, that would have made the film very different. But uh, anyway. um, I should say, I I didn't say in my notes, but I got it written down here. I don't know why I skipped it, but I really like the pig caricature drawn on the side of the trailer i do too i oh, mean that was one of my notes that i've skipped over it's the the pitch the pitch the pig with its uh cleaver in its hand that's yeah, great <laughs> I, I was looking at a, a picture of a pair of large breasts i was about to say with its cleavage in its hand <laughs> goodness well you know you can only do what you can do you know yeah the man wants what the man wants that's true man um and i love this stuff with like the, the there's a back door open on the truck and <laughs> Just Are we talking about like, Mrs. Garrett again? Yeah. <laughs> this, I'd like to get uh, some of tomorrow's bacon. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and it just feels very, um, like, like we all have gone through stuff like that where we're kind of talking ourselves through, like, did I do that? What is this? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I just, I really like that stuff. And then it's kind of, yeah, then it's kind of got its finale. And my biggest gripes, here's the other two gripes I really don't care for in the film that I think marred a little bit. The score is the number one thing. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's some stuff near the back and it's very make cute romancing the stone, which I fucking hate. Yeah. I really hate. And I hate this kind of screwball, it's a mad, 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 mad world or like um, rat race type zany characters show up en masse kind of thing that happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's bullshit too. Are you talking about just like the gigantic uh, large cast films where they just... Yeah, where it's like it's like a gumball rally or something. Everyone oh, shows yeah. up at the end together. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. this whole horse shit in this. Like it just, I think it really detracts from kind of the chilling mood of the film. It is a very bizarre choice. I don't it's know. Like what... a, it's like a zany choice. It's like, come on. Yeah, it is kind of weird. So those are the three things that kind of bother me. <laughs> oh man, I just saw uh, uh, loafs of. Uh, status from uh, yesterday or whatever. Good morning, right eyeball. I'd like you to meet my friend, Mustache Wax. <laughs> oh, that's got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, man. 
Oh, I don't mean to laugh at him in pain, but <laughs> uh, anyway. All right, is that all your notes? Yeah, man. Yeah, I did have a little bit of problems with the revisit as well. I think they were actually going to go one step further with that, but I think they dialed it back a little bit, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's great that it's PG and all, and they have it. Uh, I still think the film's a little harsh for PG, but maybe. I, I, I do too, but I think it was cl- the original rating was PG. Like, that's not now. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But in saying that, I think that what works for the film works um, fantastically. It's just there's a few things that, that knock it down a peg. That's all. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's just a shame because the other stuff hits some real high notes. Yeah, it does. I mean, this film's flawed. No doubt about that. But I think it's another one of those films where if you're a film lover, just like Night of the Creeps, which isn't as flawed, obviously, but mm. I think if you're a film lover, it's a, it's a very fun and entertaining film to see. And I think the performance of Keech is, is so good Yeah, that you can really just kind of overlook that stuff, even though it is kind of a shame it's in there. All right, is that everything? Mm-hmm. All righty. Might make a break. I love the opening. I'm going to go with the opening. Although I do have to admit, I really love that scene in the uh, in the trailer with the pig carcasses. I really yeah. love, it's a nice touch. It really is. It's a simple, easy, and effective touch. I have to say, I forgot how good that works. Uh, MVT. I'm going to go Keech. I think Franklin makes some weird choices and spots here and stuff, but Keech is spot on all the way through. I love him in the film. He's a little he's a little hard on his dog in spots. I got to say, uh, you know. I don't think that film will get made. I don't think you'd be able to handle a dog like that today. <laughs> True. Even though the dog is, you know, going hardcore in some spots. I mean, he's really yanking on that leash. Uh, I hope he had a good relationship with that dog. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because he's really giving him the what, you know, he's really giving a, you know, I mean, he really is choking that dog at some points in time, you know. And he is the, like I said, you know, he can make fun of Sneezy Rider all he wants. He's the worst motor- <laughs> motorcycle rider I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wish I just had a clip of that and posted on our group to see him driving that motorcycle. Uh, my score for this film, I'm going to go 7.75. I think this is nice. just below the threshold of being a classic. I think it's a good example of the Ausploitation era. Not as good as some of the 70s stuff or some of the Brian Trenchard Smith stuff that we love so much. Um, but I do think it is a really good, solid thriller film. And uh, I really do want it. I, I would like to see it released on Blu-ray. I'd like to have it in my collection. I really would. Because, uh, you know, it's just one of those movies. I, I can see myself revisiting it often. I mean, I've seen it a handful of times, and I've enjoyed it every time. So it's not diminished for me. Just looking at it this time critically, that music thing really stood out. And uh, some of the silliness kind of stood out, like you said. But that music thing really stood out. I mean, I, I was amazed. I was like, uh, was this in the original cut? I was sitting there thinking to myself, maybe I saw a different cut. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Because I don't remember it being as grating. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's all I got. Nice. Uh, my maker break is the, um, the scene at the bar. I really like that. And, you know, it just it gets, it's a thing if he's losing his mind, he really is isolated. He's kind of in this himself. And, uh, like I said, the, the camera work that's in that scene is pretty great. Um, MBT, I'm also going to go Keech. I think Keech is perfect in the film. He's vulnerable. He's neurotic. He's burned out a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's smart enough to figure things out, but he's mentally fried enough to maybe overlook some things or to twist some things or to go down some rabbit holes mentally. Oh, yeah. Um, he tells a great story about rabbits, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, my score is this exact same as yours, man. It's a 7.75. Those, the score, if the score was great and the end really packed a punch, this is like an 8.25 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, there's just some, some, some flawed decisions in there. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I am glad that he hung on to that 360 scene. At least he knew to stand up for that one. Mm -hmm. Good choice. All right. That is the big show. This is a night recording. It's getting late. It's time to hit the hay, hit the sack, hit the garret. <laughs> uh, whatever you got to hit. Uh, what are we doing next week? I don't know if uh, we got any obligations or not. You want to? Hmm. You want to free will it again? You want to? Yeah. Why don't we keep? Do we want to keep it festive, or do you want to get a jump out of that? What do you think? Uh, I'll just say that we might. I think there might be another one I'd like to do. I think the week after next, we definitely need to hit the. Uh, yeah, we got one more we got, week. We got a double, a special. Double deuce with some guests lined up. Yeah, we got to get that one lined up. And so we know what we're doing the week after next. And uh, and you might have heard a little bit of that in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Through us saying midnight ride. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, next week, yeah, we'll just announce it on the Facebook group again. We'll just go with mm -hmm. it. I'll look through my collection, look through some stuff. Uh, yeah, well, maybe we'll keep it festive. I'm having fun with this. I don't usually do the festive thing, so it's kind of nice for me. Yeah, it is. And we're both big fans. It was the one that... Um the genre that uh, really is we owe this show to, right? Well, as you said on the Midnight Red, uh, the first episode, you said you know horror is kind of like a lot of our a lot of our genre our genre cinema nuts. It's our yeah. gateway into genre cinema horror. So mm -hmm. I I love Eurocrime and all that stuff because of horror. So that's right. I wouldn't be here if I didn't go there first. I'm almost oh man, I'm almost leaning towards a mud faced. Oh, I don't want to say actually. No, you don't have to say. I mean, you, that that says everything to that me. That says everything. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I'm looking at my shelves right now for a fucking gem of a film. I got some good stuff over there. I'll have to look in it and see. The only thing I always worry about when I go in my collection is sometimes I have like stuff I love, but I'm always. I don't know the the his the the reputation of this show. Sometimes I feel like weighs heavy on my decision making. I don't know if you sure. ever feel that, but I, I do feel that sometimes. Yeah, no, no. For I sometimes sure. forget it's just fun to talk about cinema that we don't always have to pick something that opens people's eyes, you know, or maybe that yeah. people overlooked. That's right. It doesn't always have to be deep cuts. It can yeah. be. Uh, have you? Let me ask you. Have you seen? Uh, have you? You know what? I'll leave it for off the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, no time for pleasantries. We're going to jump off here. We love you guys. Everybody, I hope you're having a good Halloween and uh, or a good October, I should say. Some of our listeners are posting some great pics, going and visiting movie sites, all kinds of greatness. So, yeah, just whatever you guys want to do, join the group. If, you don't, if you're don't, if you not on Facebook and you're not in the group, you're missing a lot. A lot of the show a is lot. interaction on there. So a lot. definitely uh, you know, head on over there. And uh, if you could, maybe maybe send us a message when you ask to get in that you uh, want to come in because you heard on the show. I'd like to know some of these people that are coming in. I don't even know if they listen to the show or not. I so, agree. But anyway, either way, it's still fun for everybody to be over there. All right. I guess that's it. I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 